Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode number 136 of the official video gaming podcast of the Embracer Group. I'm of course talking about the Super Show podcast, that's right Jonesy, we just like everyone else have officially been embraced, uh, we are now powered by the Embracer Group, you're now my Embracer Group co-worker, how's it feel? Uh, I, f- I feel warm, um, as you would when you get a nice big hug from a giant company who can wrap their long long green money arms around you no jamie we haven't been embraced what? i would love to be embraced i would oh. love to get some of that sweet embracer group huggage i just thought that was oh, yeah. how it worked you kind of just sat around twiddling your thumbs long enough and eventually you got a- i thought a video game is all about acquisitions it's all about intellectual property someone told me jonesy that we were going to get to make the next darksiders game i know there's only three of us but apparently we're in charge and then mx versus atv after that thoughts uh, I think we probably could have done a better job of Darksiders than they did for three. Um, maybe not with, <laughs> ATX, uh, uh, with the other one. What is it? MTX ATV. M- M- MX versus AT. It does, it's, it's, Ameri- versus it's an American AT. thing. They like dirt. Motocrikes. They like, exactly. They like going off ramps. Um, okay. Well, that's a sad kind of crashing down to reality that I'm not sure I needed that early in the podcast. I actually now need to call Chris because he's actually on a business trip right now in Vienna. I told him to fly out there to close the deal. I told him that the paperwork was all drawn up. He just needed to sign across the dotted line. You're now informing me that that's not the way that video game acquisition works. Um, do, you re- do you reckon? Do you reckon you could get sued for saying you or someone bought you when they didn't? Even though there was no, you know, if you was no ma- not malicious, you I was mean, no ill intent, but you just said we've just been bought, and then you just but you didn't say no. It was, it was a joke. It would, and then yeah. they were like, we don't want to be associated with you. It would probably depend on a few things. Like, let's say, for example, you were a gaming podcast and you did to pretend that you were acquired by the Embracer Group, and then it went, uh, then like it transpired that somehow your viewership or listenership was so large that the value of the Embracer Group went up, and that we were already shareholders in the Embracer Group, (laughs) and that we dumped all our money as soon as the podcast went like, or something weird like that, just a pump and dump. Um, Then maybe we'd get in trouble. I think we'd get in trouble. I think if we if we said we had bought by Embracer Group and then we did a whole news story about Embracer Group because then people would think we had some sort of inside information and would take us maybe they'd take us more seriously than they would if they knew who we were really and that we weren't owned by the Embracer Group. Yeah. But unfo- unfortunately, we're not owned by the. I'd, no. I'd happily be embraced. I have no problem with it. I know some people in the games industry are sort of. They're getting a little bit testy around the whole embrace group. Would we have to close down our patrons, though? Because at the moment, I like to think of it as us being a patron-backed and then kind of patron almost, not like own, it's not ownership. That would be like modern-day slavery if our patrons had ownership over us. But it's like a partnership. They're our board of directors. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. We're the employees. Like, Chris is the regional manager. You're assistant to the (laughs) regional manager. I'm an intern. And our patrons are the board of directors. And then I guess if if we were bought by Embracer Group, then that, they could just be the chair of the board of directors. So that would work. They True. could sit at the head of the table. They'd all get paid off. People would look up their sort of the lifetime amount <laughs> spent on the patron. That would all get paid back tenfold, and then they'd be allowed to go on their way. Um, but no, look, at the end of the day, Jonesy, this is in fact a gaming podcast. And the reason I brought up the Embracer Group as early as I did is because uh, through no fault of our own, we're going to actually end up spending most of today talking about them. Um, such is the never-ending, ever-growing reach 
of the Embrace Group, who, if you don't know, are basically one massive giant media holding company who have uh, spent the best part of the last decade acquiring everything from publishers to developers to uh, various pieces of intellectual property. And that means that as today, Jonesy, we go on to talk about, say, the THQ Nordic showcase that happened last week that featured the return of a much longed for, uh, much beloved uh, horror series as we're going to talk about a couple of retail leaks that have happened in the past week courtesy of Amazon that point to say the return of another um, slightly more controversial horror th- uh, themed uh, franchise that has been long thought dead and we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff like that it all inevitably uh, gets tangled up in the Embracer group but then that's business I guess right yep the uh, the Embracer group are really embracing the news cycle this week they're big really, time uh, taking it on they're like we heard the super show podcast last week we know that the preview cycle is still you know hot and heavy we've got gamescom coming up we've got all the kinds of shit happening in the next couple of months now's the time to own the headlines um and if you want to let us know what you think of those headlines you can join us you can head over to uh youtube we are your get the video version of this podcast complete with a comment section that you can contribute to anything you type in that comment section will inevitably be read by us even if it's if it's blocked by like a spam filter or if you send us porn links or something like that technically we can read it those are the privileges we get as creators whether or not we choose to make that public that's our choice but we can read it and if there are dodgy links uh, here's a hint jonesy will click on them um you can also find us on twitter at super show pod get involved tweet at us DM Chris, do whatever you want to. Or if you just want the simplest version of this podcast, I'm talking about audio, you can head over to podcasting platforms like Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and just listen to it. Which, again, no fuss, no confusion, no faces, no kind of, like, ugliness. Just just pure voices, harmony. Do you know what I did? That, I did that this last week. I, actually, I was listening to a podcast yet again on YouTube where I wasn't watching it, I wasn't looking at it, and it was just in my pocket as I was like doing, going around doing stuff. And I suddenly thought, why am I doing this? It's on Spotify. So I just, I went onto Spotify and I, that's where I, and I listened to it there instead and it was much easier and I could turn my phone off and I didn't have the video playing in my pocket while I was walking around. Yes. And yeah, it was, I, I baffled myself that I didn't think about maybe to do that sooner. No, it's far more convenient because you always have that moment as well you're, where you're considering buying or subscribing to youtube premium and you're like oh because if youtube premium i can lock my phone and it still plays i don't have to like put it in my pockets backwards so the touch screen is like facing outwards and doesn't rub up against my leg um or you do a way if you walk a bit too briskly it thinks you've given it a shake and skipped or something yeah that's happening a lot to me lately my music will suddenly stop and i'll pull my phone out and it told me it's sort of like locked for security measures or something like that for a minute and i I have no idea what it's about but i'm gathering it's something to do with my leg pushing buttons i'm just glad i haven't called 999 yet yes that would would be embarrassing and then all the uh the caller on the other end can just hear your scrot rubbing up against your leg yeah, it's just rustling. Like, sorry, who's this? What's going on? Oh, this is terrible. We'll send an yeah. ambulance immediately. Exactly, because they can triangulate my position and work out exactly. It's like twenty four. I've seen the TV show. I know how it works. They would find me and they would kill me. They would. Um, they would. They they would rescue your scrot and leave the rest of you. Do you know what would have saved me? Is if instead of listening to this podcast on a platform like Spotify, I just waited till it was broadcast out on digital radio at convenient places like paisleyradio.com. Because if you head over there at Thursdays at 10 p.m., or if you miss that Mondays at 10 p.m., then you can catch this very show being broadcast into your ears. And you don't need to worry about your position being triangulated and emergency services tracking you down. One of the many perks <laughs> and benefits of this show is it's the, the off the grid way to uh, enjoy the, uh, the super show. Exactly. Although, 
you kind of still need to be on the grid to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, you, you need it. you need to some partial grid life needs to be lived to just the bare minimum. I, I don't know how big or how much data it would use to just download or stream the audio version of this podcast, but that's all you need. Just emerge from your bunker once a week, get like three G, like I said, the bare minimum, or even Edge E, and just <laughs> Edge. Yeah, exactly. was that what the E was for? Edge. Yeah, no, it was. It was. It was Edge, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can you can be really edgy, and you can listen to the, oh, yeah, the Super Show podcast. I remember edge. thinking that like technology was never gonna you know like b- could not possibly exceed the day when my dad in the back of a black cab in London was able to use his BlackBerry to find a football score, and it only took him fifteen <laughs> minutes. And I was like, the future's here. We've done it. It's like, you know what? Fuck teletext. We're in a moving vehicle finding out football scores. What's hilarious that I was I was the same, but what's hilarious about that is um is like nowadays, sometimes it's quicker if I use my phone as a hotspot to connect my laptop to than it is to like actually use Wi-Fi, which seems bizarre. Like how's that how's that happened? But it's amazing, it's incredible. I'm not I don't know. It's 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 a mixture of sometimes of speed and also habit. Like I find myself not because it's faster, but I'll be sat there, I'm on my computer, I've got you know the world of Google Chrome in front of me, other browsers are available. And I'll sat there and I'll pull my phone out and start scrolling through Twitter. And I'm like, I'm sat at my computer and I could have just started typing in twitter.com and it would have auto-filled and I'd have got the exact same experience, except I would have been able to hear the videos that play because I've got my headphones on. But here I am looking at my phone with my hand resting on my desk that my computer's on. It's a very, yeah. like, it makes me worry for us as a race and as a, as a people. Yeah, we're, we're done, aren't we? We're not going to last much longer. Enjoy it while you can, people, because uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. And do you know what makes life and the world as we know it far more enjoyable, Jonesy? Friends? Partially, but I'm thinking something a little bit more important, a little bit more vital to the human experience. Loved ones. A little bit more important still. I I could do without those. Water. It's the thing this video game's about. I've just said it. It's the thing this podcast is about. (laughs) Is it video games? It's video games. Although water is is up there. Water's a close second. If I could have water and video games in partnership, then then I'd be living the dream. Um, Do you know who else is really hot on video games right now? Uh, uh, Who's the the guy used to be the head who died? Patrick Moore in in Games Master. Used to float around with a little thing in his eye talking about video games. But he's dead now. So maybe not him. That's a great answer to that question, albeit a dead individual. Um, it's also just a fun throwback. And I'm talking about Disney, who were, uh, I guess, prior to the days of Embracer Group, they were the previous pretenders to the throne of the "I'm going to be the company that owns everything" company. Um, they're probably <laughs> yeah, still they, at they, it. They did. Tr- they have tried to do that, haven't they? As well, yeah, <laughs> in a different way. Yeah, a lot of that stuff happens over there in America, where I don't really understand, like. I don't know what Time Warner means, so the, the significance of this transaction is so, somewhat lost on me, but I understand that this is a big deal. It's those kind of things. AT&T, never heard of it. We, don't have, we, we just don't have it over here. We don't. But what we do have are video games, and Disney are getting increasingly involved in video games. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Jody. I was watching a podcast this week. I don't know if you sort of saw it on your feed at all or if you saw tweets about it, because it did make a few headlines where um, a former... I've got to get this right, Avalanche Studios um, developer was being interviewed by Ben Hansen over at MinMax and talked about how Avalanche, the the team behind... This is the Just Cause Avalanche, for those wondering, not the Hogwarts Legacy Avalanche. Um, they were briefly working on an Iron Man game around 2012. 
um, and it got cancelled. And they were talking in that podcast about how 2012 was something of a weird time for Disney games. Like they were experimenting with different things, but like were they still working with other publishers? Were they publishing games themselves? They had weird experiments like Disney Infinity that didn't didn't always work out. Um, you know, they were taking individual licenses and individual pieces of intellectual property and partnering with certain publishers on them, like the deal with uh, EA and Star Wars that was in place for many years. But now it seems like they are spreading their wings and have reached the point where they're actually able to host a game-focused digital showcase that's going to happen this September that, um, well, doesn't have much to go, like, doesn't, there's not much to say for it in terms of what they've announced will be there, but when you start reading into what could be there, you realise just how much Disney have going on in the video game department. Um, so if I get the boring stuff out of the way first, Jonesy, um, Disney Dreamlight Valley, which I think got announced in a uh, uh, like a Nintendo stream a couple of weeks, months ago, additional news on Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, uh, more news on the recently delayed, in fact, Marvel's Midnight Suns, uh, that kind of stuff. It, it's just them basically listing the known Disney properties that are either out there, about to come out, or have recently come out. It's when you start looking at stuff that could be there, or stuff that we know less about, that things get exciting. One thing that has been confirmed is we will get a glimpse of Skydance New Media's new game, which is said to be a Marvel Ensemble game. And for anyone who doesn't recall Skydance New Media, that was the sort of the new studio set up and fronted by former Naughty Dog creative director and uh, Uncharted original trilogy director Amy Hennig. Um, so one would think, like a third-person action adventure game, maybe. You'd hope, and it, and that I mean that has all the all the ingredients to be something really exciting. But then, of course, if you think about the most recent um, Marvel ensemble game, um, it's maybe less, maybe yeah. less so. But then, uh, you know, that's unfair. There's so much you can do with an IP, and and, tight, and depends what sort of game you're going to make. And Amy Hennig is a big is a big name and has got a very good pedigree. So you would hope she's going to put something together that's that's very good. You'd think so, and, and I don't want to pigeonhole Amy Hennig, but you'd think if you want to capture some of that uncharted magic, you're talking about something a little bit more cinematic, something a little bit more linear, something that doesn't really lend itself to what you'd imagine a, a quote, ensemble game looks like. Would I, is it unfair of me to worry at this stage that this is going to be a case of, you know, up to what four-player court being ham-fisted into an experience, maybe a la Marvel's Avengers? I if, I hope they steer clear of four player co op. Like altogether, I would like them to steer clear of that. I think you can still have a Marvel on, um, Avengers ensemble game that has some co op elements or multiplayer elements or whatever that doesn't feel like another Marvel's Avengers game. I don't think, I, and I think going down the route of you know third person action, like you said, more linear, um, maybe with some hub world elements, et cetera, et cetera. I, yeah, I think that's totally doable without making it feel like another one of these open world. Um, like small open world um, kind of replayable uh, like endless loop style games that we've seen a lot recently I, I would really hope it's not I want it to go down the uncharted route of being you know totally levels broken up you know areas that you run through you could play with a partner you can do it as a co-op mission as opposed to like a four-player because co the four-player co-op type games that we're talking about they never feel that, that have been out recently they never feel like four-player co-op mission-based, story-based games. They always feel like, oh, these are levels that you can rerun and you can do again and you can add like modifiers to and you can replay and da-da-da-da-da-da. I don't want that. That's not what Uncharted was. I want a game which I want to play through from start to finish with a friend, maybe where you're you're switching between characters at some, you know, throughout the game if it's story relevant. Maybe that would feel a bit weird, 
it's hard to know like but it's hard to know i mean there there's are so reasons. much they can do in with marvel with the avengers with those characters i mean it's true. it shouldn't be difficult it shouldn't be hard to make a decent game out of that like it, it, i think the only problem they do have is the, the problem that um the overpowered thing comes like superman you know iron man this is why iron man games are shit because how do you make a game around a guy who can fly who has you know ai targeting locking blah blah blah, blah, blah. it just gets boring it's well, the same as superman Maybe this is a good point to interject with what one of the leading rumors around a Marvel this uh, Marvel Ensemble game is, and that is a potential Fantastic Four game, which you then start to feed into this idea of um, okay, not only do you have a natural fit in terms of it, it's a it's a, a an established four piece troupe. You know, you're not mashing four just separate characters together, but also. Um, and don't get me wrong, I know this is all stuff that could have been said of Marvel's Avengers, so I'm being somewhat cautious here, but they are all different, and they would all play differently, and if they composed an experience where one had to, for different reasons, play as the thing, and then play as the Human Torch, and then play as, I mean, don't get me wrong, the stealth levels where you have to play as Jessica Alba and turn invisible <laughs> are probably not going to be the most exciting, but you know, there's, there's a maneuverability there, and... I'd be interested to see. I, I watched a Gotham Knights. I know that's DC, uh, but I watched a Gotham Knights video earlier today as part of IGN First's preview rollout, and they are sticking with this angle of, like, yes, there are multiple characters in this game, and yes, there's co-op, but we want this to be a game where rather than switching between all four of the characters, you find the one you like best and stick with them and make your version of, um, you know, Robin the best version of Robin, rather than getting sidetracked by switching to someone else. <sighs> Yeah, I oh, see. I'm, but I'm, I'm worried about Gotham Knights. Like, I, yeah, I don't think too. Like, everything I've seen of that doesn't, it doesn't suggest to me it's moving in the right direction. So the idea that, um, uh, that this, even, even if it is a Fantastic Four game, like that does, that does sound cool. Like, so don't get me wrong, I do like four player co op games where they give you different characters that you can be, and you've got different strengths, different weaknesses. I, I prefer games where they actually go further down that route, where they say, no, no you can't fight like this person you are a tank your job is to be the tank you have to go in there and do tank stuff this person is the healer they'll stay back and they'll heal you you can't just basically all kind of be the same thing um so we played a bit of um aliens fire team elite right where yeah. um it's that kind of thing where you me and steph were playing it and we were all different characters different like setups of uh, weapons but they all kind of just go a bit brown everything feels a little bit mushed together and they're all a bit samey like you've all got you can pick a shotgun or a gun and then the aliens attack you and you fight. I like games where they say, no, you can barely fight. You are shit at fighting. You've only got a pistol, but you can heal your team up. Just, and just, then they're like, Josie, this- just, just say the name of the game you're thinking of. We all know what you're thinking. Just say it. No, I'm not. I'm not thinking of any game in... I'm not thinking of any game really? specifically at all. Mm-hmm. No, not thinking not of any role-based four-player co-op sort of. I'm not. Thing. I'm not okay. at all. But look, the way that those types of games have evolved over the years, <laughs> right? It's it's been um, it's, okay. it's 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 been good, and we've got some really nice tight experiences out of it. And um, I w- I wouldn't mind if they went down the route where they said, "No, look, we're going to have a game where yeah, the thing is very different from the human torch is very different from um, Reed Richards is very different from <laughs> Jessica Albert. I can't remember. I, I, can't, I can't remember their names either. Um, but. But that would be cool. But then again, like this is the thing I get with games companies these days is I want them to make an amazing story-based experience off of that. But the best example of that I've had, especially with Marvel characters recently, is Marvel's Avengers. And the best stuff for me in that game was the story-based stuff where you were in the more linear parts of the missions yeah. and you were doing the single-player stuff and you were you were doing, um, uh, what was her name? Mar- Miss Marvel's- um, Kamala Khan? 
Kamala Khan. You were, you were playing as Kamala Khan and you were sort of building that character and you were reestablishing the troop. Like that to me was the best part of that game. When you then went out and it went, now go and do what you want and replay all the missions. That's when it got really boring. I, I actually enjoyed that game when it was um, more of a more traditional, you know, play through the story game. Yeah. But, um, so, do you know, and it, do you know what? I'll give you that. If they, if they make it a Fantastic Four game where it's more linear and you... Oh, I'll tell you what else would be super cool is if you had at the beginning... I love taking away choices from people. I like choices being um, more set in stone. I don't like freedom. I don't want too much freedom. If they said, you will play as this character, but then if you want to change characters, you have to restart the game. Okay. I would be all about that. If they went, no, if you're the human torch, you are the human torch. And you have to get into another, if you have to have a group of three people who are then all the different characters and you cannot change unless you start a new game, a new save. And Why you then you play through that? Character. Hang on. I, I don't want choice. Because don't of, because want I'm, choice. <laughs> I don't want, in some games, choice is great, but in every game, choice isn't great. I don't, I don't want them to, if it's, if it's a linear story game, like a third person action game, I like it when they say, no, this is how you're going to play it. And I feel like that would be fun. And then it would give you an excuse to play through the game again as a different character. Whereas sure. if you could chop and change, especially if they had um, different set pieces, like if you had to be Reed Richards in a specific um, boss fight or in a specific, uh, you know, I don't know, something stupid. You're tied between two poles and you're trying to use your belly to bounce enemies away while the thing smashes stuff. You'd, it would give you an excuse to replay the game and be like, no, this time I'm going to be the thing. Gonna yeah, but who's going to replay a game four times? If it's really like, good, lots of people. I, I don't How many numbers. times do people replay friggin' um, uh, Yeah, but uh, you, you're not talking about Skyrim. We're talking about... Uh, no, I was going to say the, the, the 2B, 2A, the pencil Near Automata. Yeah, but that, that, <laughs> Near was, automata. That, that was different. That was different. Look, I, I, I agree with you up to a certain extent. I think a certain amount of authorship and you know, a developer being able to say, like, no, this is our vision, this is the thing you're doing, and this is the lens you're viewing this world or these characters through, that, and stick with that, that's absolutely fine. But to have an element of choice that then punishes, not punishes the player, but then, like, a choice that kind of immediately constricts around the player and doesn't let you go back on a decision you've made. Like, I don't know, I think that's unnecessarily, like, unhelpful. I don't know a good word for it, but unnecessarily they're, they're- restrictive. Maybe, but there is, there's a well-known um, sort of phenomenon which when you give people a limited amount of choice, uh, they it's a lot better than when you give them unrestricted choice. Like the idea of going to like the restaurant that serve every type of food, it's never as good as the restaurant where they serve a limited selection and you have to pick something that you actually like. Oh, but- I think that's... But I'm I'm saying they don't give us as much choice, but don't have a thing where there is choice that then disappears. Like, let, let's go back to last year. What, about, with, with what last, if they told you right at the beginning of the game? If they said right at the beginning of the I, character I don't, I don't selection? Think, I don't think there's value in that. Do you know, the, the best way to approach a lack of choice in that kind of environment while still maintaining the ensemble thing, and it's something that's just occurred to me halfway through this conversation, Guardians of the Galaxy, ensemble right. game, absolutely an ensemble game with terrific writing and voice acting across the board, but you only ever play as and experience the story from the perspective of one individual. That and it's mark, a great game. And yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't think would have been better with like a, a character, uh, even if nothing changed, even if the cutscenes were identical, I don't think a character selector and being able to have more real-time active control over, say, Rocket Raccoon, would have made that game better. So I think they were justifiable no, no. in restricting the amount of choice they gave the players. However, I, agree. Like, I don't think there would be a benefit 
if to, to allowing players a choice and then locking them into that choice and saying you like oh you you just played six hours of Star Lord and wish and now you want to like tinker with Drax you're back to the beginning baby like I, I don't think there's value in that. I I agree, but I think that's because though those games are very different in the sense of uh, those games Guardians of the Galaxy is very different in the sense of it is a single player game where you are controlling the other characters, but from the viewpoint of obviously Star Lord. I don't think they would do that with this. If this, they're gonna make because this is the thing these days, everything has to be multiplayer. So you're gonna, they want other people to sort of play as those other characters. I'm sure. Um, so then they've got more maybe liberty to have them branch off and, and characters to go off and experience things that only because so this was my problem with Marvel's Avengers. When you give a cat, when you give someone the ability to be any character, the environments you go through have to cater for every character. So they have to cater for the flying characters, the swinging characters, the jumping characters, the running characters. So you end up with like this bland um, level design because you have to cater for all of those. I hope that someone like Amy Hennig at the helm, that they would be able to say, no, this is a section, this is a level or part of a level that only the thing can do because he's going to go through and smash stuff. But that only works if the only person who can go through that area of that level is the thing or the, the human torch. You can only have flying sections of that, of a, of that, of a part of a Fantastic Four level um, when the human torch can fly through them. You couldn't then have, uh, <laughs> Jessica Alba going through that same area <laughs> we because you then she's called is, it, is she should. Mrs. Fantastic? She is, yeah. She's Reed Richards' wife, so she's something Richards. But she also has another name. Is that the thing? What is her super name? Yeah, Susan Storm. So that sounds about right. Susan, Susan Storm, Storm must be a human name because this also lists the thing as Ben Grimm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so does she have a su- what is her superhero name? Does it say? Um, or is it Susan Storm? That's a pretty super name. I know. I'm, I'm falling down a weird rabbit hole where now, like, I'm looking at Jessica Alba's um, yeah, Wikipedia <laughs> rather than Susan Storm, aka the Invisible Woman. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, like, oh, that's right. So she became when she got married to him, she became Susan Storm Richards. <laughs> that's right. So they went the double barrel route. Um. Like yeah, that that to me is one of the one of the hard must be really difficult when you're designing a video game is if you're trying to cater for every type of character in every environment. That's why I quite like take it like I'm saying take away that choice, give the designers an ability to say no, this section of this area of this level is built specifically for this type of character. Yeah, um, which but then it's so it's so goddamn hard, right? I don't know how they would pull that off. Totally. Um, to, to the point where if you offered me a choice, I would say, can I not make a Fantastic Four game? Could I just pick another great is character? It, it, I hadn't heard it's Fantastic Four it, game. It's, that, not, it's not confirmed. It's that rumour. It's, 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 a, it's a rumour. Well, actually, the leading rumour, I think at one point in time, was Ant-Man for some reason. And then Marvel have recently taken, or Disney rather, have recently taken to referring to it as a Marvel ensemble game. And then they looked at, I think it was something to do with the people who it looks like are working on it and what they've written in the past in terms of comic book wise. And right. it's the, 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 a lot of the crosshairs are lining up on the fantastic four, but it's complete rumor and speculation at this point, which you know, could make this entire uh, discussion redundant um, in just a, <laughs> a few short weeks. But, you, but you've actually hit on something that really annoyed me about the Marvel's Avengers game, which was, right. I think that I think they missed a massive opportunity for cooperative play. And Ant-Man is a perfect example because if you watch the Ant-Man films, when it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, them together are a much more powerful duo than they are separately because Ant-Man or the Wasp can like, she picks up Ant-Man and she flies in places and she like drops him so he can get to different areas. 
And what one thing I thought would be really cool um, when it came to the Marvel's Avengers game was that rather than you being able to um, get around the environment on your own, if you actually needed to utilize the other Avengers to help you move around. So you would have to have Thor would have to pick up Black Widow and fly her places. Otherwise, and I think that sort of cooperative play is something that's, that was missing from Marvel's Avengers. And that gets over the problem, like I was saying, if Susan Storm's rubbish because all she does is turn invisible and the human torch can fly, if the human torch has to pick her up or if Reed Richards has to elast- like launch her across a gap. And that's right. something, again, which Guardians of the Galaxy, like this isn't a pro Guardians of the Galaxy only podcast, but Guardians of the Galaxy did very well because it actually had sections of that game where um, Groot could go and do something easily. Like he could have done it himself but he had a problem that everyone had to get over. And so you had to find ways of not only getting over one character, you had to then get over all of your team, which has actually made the game feel much more authentic. Yeah. Yeah. So hope, and, and yeah, hopefully that's, that's the route they go down rather than the Marvel's Avengers cool. sort of open world, just everything's brown and a pancake world. That would be very disappointing. And I guess one thing that is nice, although you know, hindsight sometimes means a lot and sometimes means very little in the games industry but hopefully as you kind of hinted at there there's some hindsight at play with the direction Skylance New Media go with this in so much as you've got case studies like Marvel's Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy to look at to inspire a certain direction although I think you were actually circling around the best possible idea and the idea that I would pitch now if I had to go into a meeting with Marvel you basically said it yourself though it's Ant-Man and the Wasp in a Marvelized version of It Takes Two. That see, do you know what's funny? I literally thought It Takes Two. As yeah. I was saying it, I was like, that is It Takes Two, but that game was so good. Like an Ant-Man and the Wasp, they have that cooperative play already in, in the movies. And that would be so much more fun mm-hmm. as a game, because you could you're a duo, you've got to work together, you can't just do everything on your own. Yeah, no, I'd be I'd be totally off that. Get um get what's his name? Joseph Barris on the line. Get him a, <laughs> get him a couple of grams. Tell him to come down. <laughs> no, how about if you don't even get Joseph Barris involved in the writing, just bring back the uh, the the Book of Love character for no <laughs> reason. Hey, Ant-Man and the Wasp, you're falling out. <laughs> we need to get you back together, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I presume that's what that film was about and the upcoming sequel. It is, because that is all it is about. They they fall out a lot. And they shrink. I mean, it is basically it takes two. Yeah. Come on now. And there are bugs. There are wasps. There are even wasps and bees and stuff in it takes two. So, I mean, look, it writes itself. Come on now. It does. Although before they get to that, Marvel might have to consider whether that would be stepping on the toes of EA, who, like I said, they don't have an exclusivity deal with anymore when it comes to other Disney properties like Star Wars. But they are more than more than just a little bit still working with um and that's where we get jonesy into the kind of the other side of what disney have going on and i want to say that essentially all of these have an asterisk next to them when it comes to whether or not they would appear at this digital event largely because of who's making them and uh who's publishing them and which stages of development they're at but these are all still technically disney games in one form or another so starting with ea we have a star wars jedi survivor of course, the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order that I think is still set for a release date. Is it is it early-ish next year? Like, first half of next year? I can't actually remember now. I can't, I can't remember either. I'll, I'll very quickly see if I can double-check and find out. Um, yeah. I, that's one that I feel like we'll be seeing something from 
probably at some point by the end of the year. I don't know. EA obviously haven't had anything in terms of there wasn't an EA play this summer. Um, and this game got announced as part of the Star Wars celebration. But I know that EA are going to do kind of smaller events for one-off things and to show off games when they need to be shown off. Like I believe um, at the time of recording, it currently sounds like there's going to be some kind of Dead Space preview event next month. Um, yeah, it's Jan to March uh, next year for Jedi Survivor, which cool. is is surprising because obviously we only saw that um, the trailer for it, the cinematic trailer, not too long ago. Um, yeah, right. It's, it's something we've heard about for a little while. We found out the name, and then it's like you see you get the trailer, and it's and it's pretty soon, man. It's January to February right. to March, which is not long at all. And like D- Dead Space is January, and that's getting its gameplay preview rounds next month, which makes you think that it's not impossible for uh, Jedi Survivor to pop up somewhere either in its own right uh, as we head towards the end of the year or perhaps it will piggyback onto one of the other things that's going on like this Disney event or it's maybe a little bit too premature for Gamescom which is happening next week at the time of recording but then of course you have the Game Awards themselves um, at the end of last year at the end of the year excuse me uh, which actually have been no stranger to Star Wars games recently because Star Wars Eclipse the Quantic Dream Star Wars game was of course announced at Keeley's event last year Although that one, um, it still seems like it's many, many years away, as the sort of entirely cinematic trailer would have suggested. Also, probably many, many years away is a Star Wars FPS being developed by Respawn. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, Jonesy, between you and me, if we saw something Respawn-related show up in the next 12 months outside of Apex Legends. The issue is, I think they've got about at least three games in development across that studio right now and i don't know which is furthest ahead to put it bluntly um yeah that that's the one that i think holds the most promise like jedi survivor jedi survivor is going to be really good like it's it, i just think as you know the first game is fantastic i think this, this is going to be really good but the idea of respawn making an fps star wars game and then you think about their pedigree and you're like that game could be something really special like it could it could it's going to be good i think no matter what it's going to be enjoyable star wars fans are going to like it but then you sort of think okay they could make something really special which is um so one that i'm definitely i'm definitely hoping out ho- holding out hopes that we see something sooner rather than later for that yes agreed agreed although again you just we don't know at this stage and with ea being in that weird middle ground like other studio like other places like a uh, playstation are at you just don't know what you're going to see and when you're going to see it um speaking of playstation that means the same things going for uh spider-man 2 and wolverine both of which were announced at the September PlayStation Showcase this time last year, neither of which has been seen since, but of course, both being developed by Insomniac, so one would imagine that Spider-Man 2 is not only coming first, but will be the one of those two that we uh, see next. Um, there's also one more piece of, uh, one more Star Wars game um, over at Ubisoft, um, and that is being developed by Ubisoft Massive. We don't know anything about that, and that is probably because Ubisoft Massive still have their hands tied with the recently delayed uh, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which, for those of you who have uh, lost track at this point, is in fact technically a Disney game. Um, again, thanks to the the nature of uh, acquisitions and parent companies and subsidiaries and so on and so forth. We have the aforementioned titles such as Marvel's Midnight Suns and the uh, Skydance New Media Marvel game with Amy Hennig. We have um, a couple of little rogue things in the middle, like Machine Games, of course, working on an Indiana Jones project as part of the kind of the reforming of Lucas and so on and so forth. We don't know much about that yet. Kingdom Hearts 4, 
a Disney kind of adjacent property that will be a big deal when Square Enix wrap their head around that. And finally, I left this to the end because it is, of course, just a rumour and one that we discussed on this very podcast just a few weeks ago, and that is the potential for a Black Panther game uh, being worked on uh, at EA by the folks who, or at least the folk who made um, the uh, Middle Earth games, the recent open world Middle Earth games. There's a lot there, Jonesy. Um, most of it I'd be surprised if we saw in September. Um, but do you think there's anything that stands out there as something that either A, has to be further along the meets the eye, or B, is ready for a little bit more of a reveal? Kind of like how we hinted at with Jedi Survivor, how actually you look at the release date, you look at development time, we're going to be seeing something about this soon. Is is there anything else there that leaps off the page as something that um, you want to see more of? The yes, Indiana Jones, I think, is what is an easy one for me. Is the one that I want to see because I mean, when it, when they sort of announced it, it was one where you immediately jumped to, okay, Uncharted was an Indiana Jones game with a different character, and then you think like, okay, what does a modern day Indiana Jones game look like? And it just excites the hell out of me. I'm like, that could be. It's obviously it's from the pedigree of like, cause it's even like talk about Tomb Raider. All of these things feel like they yes. were born of Indiana Jones. And then it's like, and, and Indiana Jones used to have games, obviously, but um, they were from like a very different era. They were like the point and click era. They, they were a very different type of feel to them. So I'm so excited about seeing what they actually do with that. Um, you, you look unsure. Can, no, I want to ask you a question as a hardcore indie fan, but mixed okay. with the pedigree of machine games and uh, their history at Starbreeze as well. Would it take... Would it have any impact at all on your excitement for the Indiana Jones game if you found out it was first person? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't like it. Interesting. I thought that'd be your answer. No, I wouldn't like it at all because um, I, I just don't see... For me, there are, fun, there are like... I suppose that when you come to like an IP, there are fundamentals that you need to include in the IP. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, fundamental to the IP of Indiana Jones and it comes straight, and you can see it if you haven't even seen the Indiana Jones. If you've played Tomb Raider games, if you've played Uncharted games, it's sort of like a lot of mystery, a lot of um, like ancient artifacts and stuff, and then there's explosive action tied into it. And the combat side of it, that FPS games are the best at, is always um, a lesser part of it. Indiana Jones does not run around shooting people like that's not his main aim, which is what FPS is obviously best at. Um, his, you know, he he fights people. He'll he runs away he he uses his whip he does a lot of things that a third person action game are beautiful at um for having a first person elements to it or having like a way you can you know aim down sights or something if you wanted to go that route i could see them doing that um but he there's even jokes in indiana jones about like the fact that he doesn't have a gun um you know in, in uh what is it which one is it where he's, he's like goes to pull his gun out and it's like a flashback joke and then he's got his guns not in his holster i think it's temple of doom i might be wrong i can't remember um but yeah, I, I feel I feel like you wouldn't get the game you deserve if you have a first, if it's pure first person. Um, that would. Do you know what? Yeah, I, I I kind of brought it up in a silly kind of like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Oh, I want to see my person kind of way. But your your arguments are actually extremely valid. I, I just don't. I think it's a different game. I, you could don't get me wrong. It might still be very very good, but I think it's just a different game to what Indiana Jones fans like. Like me, that was weird because that's my name, Jones. It sounds weird, something like that. Indiana Jones games, like me, like that I like. Jesus Christ, the films that I like, I don't think would be accurately represented in a first-person game. I'd see how Indiana Jones uh, has affected my life because my surname is Jones. My brother actually called his dog Indiana because obviously the joke is that Indiana Jones, his name's not actually Indiana. His name is Henry, Henry Jones Jr., and the and dog is called, called Indiana. Dog in, yeah. 
They call the dog Indiana. And my brother has a dog called Indiana. There you go. There you go. Nice um, <laughs> but no, so yeah, Indiana Jones is an easy one for me. I think I'm actually more excited about the individual uh, hero mo- uh, games from the Marvel pedigree. So like Black Panther, uh, Wolverine, Sp- like so we've seen how good Spider-Man is as a game. And for me, it's because you get to build a game with an engine that works for the mechanics of a single character. And it, that's what is good. Like Spider-Man, running around on the streets of Spider-Man is not great. Swinging is incredible. Yes. That game is built to swing. <laughs> hey. um, if you build a Wolverine game, you can build a game where stabbing people with your adamantium claws feels badass. You can, you can have like a free flow combat system like the Batman era games whereby, you know, it just feels good to fight. Um, similar with Black Panther, like I think that is a game that, that really needs its, de- its own dedicated set of, you know, I'm not a game designer, obviously, but engine laws. And this is how the engine runs and this is how the game feels. Like, I think that's where games like that really take off. So I'm really excited about those. Um, the Wolverine, Spider-Man 2, Black Panther, I think those sound wicked. Avatar, I mean, I could have left that back when they first announced it, man. Jesus Christ. Mm. And all the other, as for the others, like I said, Star, Star Wars Respawn is one that I'm super excited about because they make such good damn games. Like first-person games, they make incredible, incredible games. So yeah, I don't but, even play much Apex. Like I haven't played Apex for ages, but just look at like Titanfall and Titanfall 2 and how good those games oh, are and how fun they are to play. Like. In Titanfall 2, in spite of the fact that it's, you know, not getting any younger, they still made, you know, one of the best examples of that kind of like tentpole Q4 FPS game in the Call of Duty vein, in that Call of Duty model. But like, this is how you make an FPS campaign. This is how you integrate FPS multiplayer. And even some of the, the things that were wrong with the first Titanfall, like the lack of progression in the multiplayer, the lack of customization as a, that derived from that progression in the multiplayer, they kind of improved on everything that they needed improving upon. And like again, you look at how, how they adapted to Jedi Fallen Order and like their first attempt at something like that, and you're like, yeah, these guys have clearly got a knack. And that was exactly what I was thinking when like Spider-Man 2 is something of a known quantity at this stage. Obviously, they could mix things up, and I'm sure they will mix things up. But Wolverine, you look at as another Insomniac project, and like how much credit you have to give Insomniac that they've gotten to the point now where they are just as much of an exciting factor of a game's pre-release build-up, pre-release hype. And you're just like... Yeah, they're absolutely fair there. They are amazing. Yeah, like the the visuals and the feel of both Spider-Man games that we've had thus far and the most recent Ratchet and Clanks were so good that you just like, you know that like going back to what you said, like you know that Wolverine fucking someone up with his claws will feel and look amazing, and you just want to. That's something you just want to see right now, like that. But what didn't make any? What doesn't make sense to me with a company like Insomniac is do you you remember the time when it was like they had they they had uh, Miles Morales was obviously I think had come out Ratchet and Clank we'd seen and they'd already started talking about Spider Man Two and you're like how the fuck are they making these games this well? This quickly, like this, doesn't seem possible. Yeah, no, at a time when no one else seemed to be doing it, and like on a, on on a brand new piece of hardware that no one else was exploiting in the way they were, and like <laughs> yeah. I still maintain that Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is just like if you're buying a PS5 now and you want to see a game that looks and like just draws the maximum amount of energy and power of that PS5, and you know, kind of is the perfect example of everything that console's capable at the moment. I still think that Ratchet and Clank game is one of the best examples of it. Like yeah, There are obviously other really good-looking games that are out there at the moment, but like as a next-gen only, like, hey, fucking look at this thing. 
Um, it was super impressive. Um, and yeah, the fact that they've been able to do that alongside getting Spider-Man Miles Morales ready for launch and having you know two more Marvel games uh, in the hopper, like super impressive, super impressive. And it's cool that we can talk about all these Disney properties and as a result of Disney's slightly more far-reaching um, video game endeavors nowadays, we do have companies like um, like Insomniac and like Respawn and like Machine Games on the hook for some of this stuff. Um, and we'll see. What is there, if, if you if you had to pick one of those to say like that is that's the one you uh, are most excited about hearing more about, what would you what would you go for? Do you think? It might be it might be Wolverine, just because uh, look, I, I've just waxed lyrical about Insomniac. I'm not going to try and pretend um, uh, that that's not a huge factor for me. The Star Wars stuff it all feels somewhat familiar. Um, I, I'm not that enthusiastic about where Star Wars is right now as a property. Um, let right. alone you know any individual video game and I think when it comes to the one factor that could sway me, the respawn factor respawn have other things that they're working on that I'm more excited about than this and so it would be strange the, the, the same, you're, you're going to crucify me for this but the same would be said for Indiana Jones in so much as that like if you offered me right now if you asked me which one I'd like to come out first I wouldn't cancel either of them, which one I'd like to come out first Indiana Jones or a, a, a Wolfenstein 3 I'd pick Wolfenstein because that's the series I know more and that's the, that's the story I want a resolution to and that's the world I want more from. And Indiana Jones, like any like a lot of teams out there could make an Indiana jo- a great Indiana Jones game. Um, why, why are you delaying my Wolfenstein for it? That's the part of what selfishly I think. I, I will give you that. It does feel like a slight odd departure for machine games. And, and I can see, and there's a weird thing of that because I'm not, a fa- this is going to sound harsh, I Wolfen's, I like Wolfenstein. I haven't bit fallen in love with the series for a few different reasons. Yeah. Like um, there's, you know, I have some issues with some of their level design and some of how the games play and things. I still think they're a very good company. They make very good games, and I think they can they make games that really like really do play to, you know, like what fans want. And so, what's funny is I would probably agree with you that a Wolfenstein three is more likely to be a a very good game, even with my reservations around Wolfenstein games. Um, because some of the things that I sort of don't, I haven't liked, I think are quite easily fixable. And the prospect of an Indiana Jones game is almost like um, they could they they could just phone it in because of the IP. I'm not saying they would, but I think they they could, and you could still end up with a saleable property that people buy, and you kind of go, yeah, that was all right. I don't want to be harsh, but that's probably what Hogwarts Legacy will feel like—a game that Damn. sort of capitalized on you know what it was and phoned it in a little bit and wasn't quite to the level that a lot of people are hoping i hope that's not true it doesn't i'm not saying it's going to be true but i'm saying that is a definite possibility sometimes that happens with games time to like movies and tv shows and other things um but there is a chance that they make such a sick indiana jones game that i'm i'm well in the mood for like the the second you see like gameplay and indy's hat is like falls down under a thing and then he and he pulls it out from under a rock that's like closing down on his hand and i'll be like oh my god i want to play this game like so yeah i but i know i kind of agree with you in a, in a weird way like um i don't yeah I, i'm not i'm not mad at you for that at all i'm not mad i'm not mad at you it makes yeah. sense no I, I, also like when it comes to a question like that there's no wrong answers right about like Kind of, I'm looking forward to each of these games in some way, shape, or form. And even if it's out of sort of like a weird morbid curiosity, except for Kingdom Hearts Four, <laughs> I said morbid curiosity. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
yeah, Kingdom Hearts is a weird outlier. Like again, I call it Disney adjacent. That's how I feel about it. And I don't know, but there are a lot of people out there who really like Kingdom Hearts Jonesy, and it's our job as as uh, uh, smiling faces on the front lines of video games to keep promoting and supporting the development of hot new projects that people like. It was, it was, it's weird. Kingdom Hearts is weird for me because I've played a bit of it. I played a bit of Kingdom Hearts three, sorry, and I, was it? At, it was when the Spider Man was in. It was, was at, under, it was at Gamescom. Was that where we played Spider Man as well? Was that E three? That, that was, was games. That was Gamescom was as game well. So, what, and what was weird about that was the queues to play Spider Man were massive. Like everyone wanted to play that, and Kingdom Hearts three, there was nobody there, and we we were on the press day. We weren't on the public day. I think it was. Um, yeah. And I remember when I said you said what were you playing, and I was like I was just playing some Kingdom Hearts three, and you were like what no you weren't and i was like oh, yeah it was it's just over there and you were like what and then actually and there was no one there and yeah, i think you were genuinely cause, surprised because it, it, it yeah in my head it was like what are the chances that a kiosk to play what was then um a highly anticipated game that i don't even think was coming out that year at that point or if it was it was it was, it was and i it think was, you're right i don't think it was it was slightly further away um and I was like, surely that, like, again, like, if you, if you have, if you had to, if the queue on the press day for Spider Man was a couple of hours, then, you know, Kingdom Hearts, I'm not suggesting it would be in the same spot, but I didn't think you'd just be able to walk up to it and be like, oh, what's this? Oh, it's Kingdom Hearts. Cool. Just wander over and be like, oh, this plays yeah. more nothing else to do. This plays me Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. It was, it was funny. Um, and maybe, maybe that was, that's, maybe that's what we learned is that Kingdom Hearts fans are real. They're just, they don't come out in public, and they don't go to conventions. They don't work for the games press because that's who that was. Who was it's there true, on that actually. Day. If it was a public day, um, that would have I'm been sure very the queue different. Was mad yeah. on the public day, yeah. God, uh, have I, I, I know the temperatures have calmed down a little bit across Europe now, but heaven help anyone going to Gamescom this year because those public days are there's something else. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, I'm getting flashbacks now. PTSD, <laughs> the uh, of cramming onto escalators and people who clearly uh, haven't been introduced to the concept of deodorant. But anyway, um, we're not going this year. Do you know who is? Uh, no. Who's going? Jeff Keeley? Jeff Keeley's going. Uh, of course. And he's of course bringing back uh, one of the things that uh, we were actually and actually it wasn't the time that you were there, Josie. I think it was the year after. But something that Autumn Gaming us and our previous forms, were there for, for the first ever time it happened, and that's opening night live, and Jeff Keighley's returning with it um, in public, another in-person event, so people actually uh, in the crowds this time, live reactions, um, which I'm sure will result in kind of, if it's anything like the Game Awards, just a weird sort of slightly alarming uh, lack of applause and lack of cheering at points where you think there should be lots of big cheering and big pops. I only bring this up because... Talk about Disney having its um, digital showcase in September. Of course, Ubisoft having a showcase in September. So I'm bringing up Gamescom just to kind of wrap up the fact that, like, hey, as we kind of hinted at last week, over the next month, um, there's quite a lot happening. Um, Sonic Frontiers is going to be there, Hogwarts Legacy, The Callisto Protocol, High on Life, Return to Monkey Island. There's going to be uh, a bunch of new stuff. Jeff Keighley referring to all of those lovingly as world premiere, premiere new looks. Sometimes I feel like Jeff has a slightly different definition of world premiere to other people, which can lead to confusion, did lead to confusion on a podcast I watched this week where he said, um, yeah, we've got 30 world premieres. And the host was like, 30 world premieres? Like, <laughs> He's like, no, 
No? Like 30, th- 30 things you've never seen before. Um, and they're also a little bit tricksy because I swear the last time I watched something, I can't remember what it, what it even would have been. Um, it, might, it might have actually been the uh, opening night of Summer Game Fest. Uh, and they yeah. were like, were, like premiere. And it, was, and it was just the same trailer we'd already seen, but it had some additional shots. Oh, and they, I th- it was and I, the Callisto Protocol. They did like the the extended ga- edition of the Callisto right. Protocol trailer, but then they did show gameplay afterwards. So then it was like, oh, okay, so you, technically you're right. It's premiere of like the new stuff, but that's just, it felt a little bit like that's not the best description because I've seen a lot of this stuff before. But I, I suppose it's fair because obviously the gameplay stuff you hadn't seen before. Um, yeah, I'm not that. Yeah, I'm not that taken with this this list. I, I, I must admit, that's probably more of a me thing. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are excited about this, especially like Return to Monkey Island, whatever. But I don't know. Sonic Frontiers has had a really ropey start um, because it looks terrible. Uh, Hogwarts Legacy should be out soon, and it's and it's obviously just been pushed. So it's it's cool that it's there. But like I said, like and they had a 15 minute um, gameplay uh, reveal thing back like, the, a couple of months. They're the whole state of play, right? Yeah, yeah, they 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 had um, a whole thing dedicated to it, and it looked like I was saying before. I don't want to have a go at Hogwarts Legacy. It's a game that I'm excited to play. My wife's massively into like, um, uh, what's his name, Harry Potter. She likes Harry Potter and, and the whole sort of like Hogwarts thing. And uh, um, so, and it looks it looks like a well made game. It looks it looks very nice. But like I said, I do think there's a possibility that they've kind of made a very pretty game which isn't necessarily going to be a game that plays as well as it looks i think it's the best way i can put it i think that's fair. yeah um we'll, we'll see i'm sorry and then I the clister protocol we'll see most thing. we have i i hope that i hope you're right then i really hope you're right because i've i keep seeing things about it and it's and it, the way they talk about it and the trailers and stuff make it look wicked and I'm even as not much of a Harry Potter fan. I'm excited to play it. Same. But at the same time, I just kind of there's a I don't know. Yeah, there's a weird forespokenness for about it. Oh, okay, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I like it so. looks very nice. Do you reckon? How will it play? Do you reckon we see forespoken at Gamescom? Uh, no, then with a sixteen by nine version of that trailer from last week. <laughs> maybe oh no I'd, yeah i was gonna say we've only just like had a bit more like why and and they've just been slated so hard it's like actually maybe they will like i don't know i'm because I'm, I'm looking at this list and particularly hogwarts legacy um which of course as you mentioned got delayed high on life that actually got delayed uh this afternoon uh at the time oh recording. wow okay i didn't know but that. staying this year it got delayed by right. six weeks so now it's coming out in december um like do you find it i find it weird let me ask you this question quickly mm. before we move on do you find it weird when a game is delayed and then you get like trailers and stuff for it at like, like a games conference or whatever i was gonna i was actually gonna say that that's why i think there could be some forespoken coverage at this because i think it's like a d- weird double whammy of a lot of the games that are getting delayed and the amount they're being delayed by is like actually we just need extra time to polish like things are in a good place we need time like you know a, a we don't know when Hogwarts Legacy was going to come out and never had a firm release date in Q4, but by moving to February, it's bought itself no more than three or four months. Higher on Life, we're talking that's about true. six weeks. Forspoken is a weird one because that's been delayed a few times now, but clearly like people have played Forspoken. It was the Game Informer cover article and they had gameplay videos of it throughout the whole month of you know whatever it was, May, June, something like that. 
And so there is an idea here in my mind of like, these are all games that can be shown and it's just about sort of like keeping them stuck within the public public consciousness and also reinforcing that new release date that kind of makes these things make sense. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's but I have I have weird I have to have weird takes. I we know this hot takes, trash opinions. That's the name of the name of the game. I always have a feeling when it comes to this sort of thing. Like if a game's just been just been delayed and then they show you a trailer or they have a, have coverage about it, it almost feels like I'm sitting at a restaurant. I've ordered my food. It always takes about half an hour, or usually takes about half an hour to get your food. So you kind of, you know, you're expecting it. And then after half an hour, or maybe let's say 25 minutes, let's be fair, the waitress comes over, or the waiter comes over, and they say, oh, sorry, but your your meal is delayed, unfortunately, so you're going to have to wait another 20 minutes. And you're like, oh, okay, no, yeah, that sucks. But hey, I've eaten here before, and the food's often good, so that's okay. And the waiter goes, but that steak is mighty juicy and those chips, oh, they've been fried just right. Also, look, at we've got so many sauces. You're going to have a hell of a time when you get that food. And I'm like, dude, you've just told me it's delayed. Don't now try and like piss me off by telling me how good it is because now I'm, let me get over the fact I'm annoyed at the delay. Well, then I'll be ready to appreciate the, how tasty it's going to be when it's here again. I need a bit more breathing space to get over the initial... Oh, you know what? In in that case, I think you do need a bit more breathing space. I think the difference is when it comes to the way the games industry functions, is that the overwhelming majority of the people, ninety eight percent of the people that this waiter is communicating with, in these sense, in this sense, haven't ordered the steak yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they're like, the steak is going to take twenty minutes longer. You know, the st- it says on the menu that there's a waiting time of an hour on the steak. That waiting time is now ninety minutes, but we still thoroughly recommend you order it. Okay. Or maybe they're even walking outside and they're walking past and they're like, "Oh, the table's a little bit longer than we thought, but you can wait in the queue and then you'll get." Yeah. yeah okay. Maybe. Exactly. And while you while you're here in the queue, here's here's a here's a here's a sampler. Like he's he's a he's a one by one inch cube of steak on a on a I, toothpick. In the incredibly unlikely uh, eventuality that God of War Ragnarok gets delayed, at ne- if they delay if they do delay it and then they drop a trailer, I will ask you how you're feeling whether or not <laughs> no, because the, after like how just you did sit, in the restaurant sit, because I've ordered the steak, Josie. <laughs> That's what I was successful. I wonder. I'll be saying like, Jamie, do you feel satisfied by the uh, the lovely little trailer that you've got now that you have to wait an extra twelve weeks to play God of War Ragnarok? The, the the satisfaction would be the furthest word from my mind. I think at that point in time. Um, yeah, no, but I, okay. but I agree with you, and I think. One thing that is a bit of a shame going back to sort of looking at Gamescom as a whole is that there are a couple of things we're going to talk about in a moment that have now uh, been all but confirmed as a result of uh, leaks on various retailers that suggested... uh, I'll put it this way. I'll jump in a little bit and say some of the games we're going to talk about later on I think would have been Gamescom announcements. And had they been preserved up until uh, next Tuesday, they would have been pretty cool. Um, And it's a shame they're not going to be as cool as as a result. But if there are a handful more things like that, then that would be great. Um, But all in all, it is an okay time. And like, I'm I'm curious to see... um, what the Disney um, showcase has to offer. And I also think that Ubisoft are in an interesting position. Ubisoft have the state problem themselves with Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which is kind of like a, we know we've just delayed this game, but we promise it still exists. And here it is. Please don't forget about us. Um, and also <laughs> Do you know what I just realized? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. 
as I said, I just realized in the restaurant analogy about like telling about the steak not coming out, Ubisoft is the waiter or the waitress who brings your food out, puts it on another table over there, doesn't tell you that they've put it out, and then just like carries on around their business. And then after 10 minutes, you say, Sorry, um, I was just waiting for that really tasty that that steak burger uh, and fries. Is that another? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I put it on that table. And you go, I didn't even know it came out. It yeah. looked, it looks good. What can I have it? And they're like, Oh, yeah, sure. Didn't know you'd want it over here. You're like, yeah. Fuck, we man? left it left What's with you? No one's been touching it. Actually, uh, with you? you can have it, but you've only got like 30 seconds to eat it because we got told <laughs> to take it back to the kitchen. Yeah. Like, no, told, one, no, no one's one was eating, eating it. it, so we got told so to take, take it, away. it away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, like, for God's sake, stop doing want, this to me, Ubisoft. And you're like, okay, well, even if I can't enjoy that, at least I can enjoy uh, the chicken sandwich. I get the chicken sandwich every time I come. Same time, same place, like, same day in the calendar, I get the chicken sandwich. Anthony said the chicken sandwich is working a little bit different this time. We bring out just the buns on their own, and we're going to bring out an assortment of meats and allow you to create your own sandwich over the course of the next seven years. <laughs> you're like, I don't want that. Just bring me the chicken sandwich. Just the chicken sandwich. The last chicken, I, uh, I bought more of the last chicken sandwich than I ever bought of ever chicken any chicken sandwich before that. Yeah, but painful. so we're changing the chicken sandwich. I'm sorry. What we've actually done is there's a table you can now go to, and then you can sit at that table, and then you can leave and go to other tables just mm. to experience experience that food on so, the other table. Um, just and to go back know, to that table. We've actually tweaked your favorite chicken sandwich just a little bit. Uh, first of all, it is completely free. That's the good news. I will have to inform you, though, that it is A, no longer a sandwich, and B, no longer chicken. But it is free. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I, we we need to make a sketch out of this. It needs to be like a, a sketch about a restaurant where it's all the different waiters are the different games companies. And I how, think they, could, how they go about it. Yeah, I think you could go around a whole bunch of different industries and we're just like, if like video game practices apply to other industries. Um <laughs> Like embracer embracer and the one at the back where they're going would you like anything off the menu like oh yeah i'll have that please like, oh sorry i can't do it anymore that way is that he's got it he's he's the only one who can sell that now. yeah can i have well, this like, oh no he's just got that as well sorry about that it's a like a, it's a construction company and you and your next door neighbor are both getting a, a conservatory built at the same time and you uh wake up and you one day you call the uh the the, the head of operations at the construction company and like so I'm, yeah i'm just looking out my window um the neighbor's conservatory that's being built the exact same dimension specifications and time as mine they're building it twice as fast uh yeah they just purchased a booster uh, uh sorry what yeah we work twice as far we work twice as fast for the next three hours do you uh do you want to buy the booster as well yeah, exactly. uh, no thanks you get the booster for free if you buy this whatever the whatever the construction equivalent of the season passes oh man yeah video games huh Lots to look forward to. Um, crazy. Crazy one out there. In the coming months. You know what's just crazy? Life. Fact, life and the fact that people in the course of their lives have chosen to support us and the avenue of support that so many of them have gracefully chosen, graciously chosen, is Patreon. And the link that you can head to to join them is patreon.com forward slash super show what you'll find when you head over there is a platform where you can choose a level of donation a level of monthly donation that feels appropriate both for you and the level of quality entertainment and products that we provide you um there's a two dollar tier there's a five dollar tier there's a ten dollar tier and each of them has associated perks and benefits like access to a discord server where that we hang out on with the rest of our community like patron exclusive content patron exclusive podcasts behind the scenes videos uh 
Let's Plays, all sorts of things that live in there. The catalogue, the back catalogue, the library of content that we've got that lives behind the Patreon paywall grows with each passing month. So there's never been a better time than the the furthest forward day that you're living, which at the time you're listening to this is right now to support us on Patreon. That link, once again, is patreon.com forward slash super show. And I'd like to acknowledge some of the very kind people who have already gone over there and seen fit to uh, pledge to our cause and help us keep producing that content. There are some names on screen now that I wish to celebrate. And I'd also like to draw attention to some names, some further individuals who are doing God's work and helping us. And they are Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Bill Caesar, Brimstone, Cole K, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camdell Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pigs, Mr. Anthropic, Nathan Pierce, Pastors Guild, and the head honchos, the real board of directors above the board of directors, Brett Z, aka Shellshock, Doppler, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, Peaswad. Thank you all so much, you lovely group of individuals. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate yes, it. Absolutely. Uh, Jonesy, speaking of uh, patrons, one of the board of directors, so I will warn you now, one of our bosses, one of the people that controls our destiny, our fates, our future employment, actually left a comment on a recent video of ours that you have picked out as comment of the week. It's Shellshock. Shall I read it? Go for it, mate. He said, Woo! Feels great to be caught up again. Great show as always, lads. Had a random thought. Wonder what your top five games that wouldn't be on anyone else's top five list would be. So like games you really, really love, but the consensus was less forgiving. And this, like, admittedly, I will say that this is one that we haven't uh, prepared for because this was uh, picked out as comment of the week just prior to recording. So we don't have a laundry list of research titles to hand. Um, but it's a great question. Like, it, it's it's the kind of thing that if we were still um, in ATG territory and we found the right way to kind of title and thumbnail this because it's a bit of a weird kind of conceptual one. Um, I would love to do a, a kind of video like this. But where, do, where, where, Jonesy, if I start with you, if you don't mind, where does your mind kind of immediately go to? Because I feel like you are uniquely positioned to have a shitload of stuff that <laughs> no one else likes and you do. Do you know what? It's, it's funny. So I picked out this comment. and I, Yeah, I, did, I thought it was a really good question. Um, and there was two games that immediately jumped to mind. Do you know what I should have done? Is I should have then spent some time maybe listing down a few more, but I'm on the fly. So let me give you, I'll give you a couple that jumped to mind. So we've already mentioned it. Um, Evolve mm. is one of the games that I I loved. I thought it was fantastic. Um, that asymmetric um, style, the, you know, the, the team of hunters versus the monster thing. I thought that game was very good. I I, I don't know what it was specifically about it um, that I really liked. I think it was because I had some of those crazy moments in games that you can't really, um, you can never forget. You just have such a good time. Um, and, and you can remember them for years after. And I know that kind of sounds weird, right? A game like Evolve, you're like, well, how can you have these crazy cool times? Because it's a multiplayer game, so you're sharing moments with other people. Um, you, oh, We had some, I just remember things like drop in the dome to contain the monster and it was like right at the perfect second. And then you see the monster like slam into the side of the wall as it was trying to escape and then just stop and turn around because you know the player who's that was just pissed off at the fact that you'd managed to catch them. And then all hell breaks loose because then the monster goes mental and starts attacking all of the people. And then the people are going crazy and they're trying to tether the monster, fight it, heal up and all this. It's just a very cool, very nice asymmetric um, hunting game with a, a sort of a, uh, I, I suppose the pacing of it as well was something that I really enjoyed. If you were the monster in that game, you spent, you know, the first, say, 
two thirds trying to escape, trying to level up, you know, trying to get more powerful. And it was a constant thing about running away and hiding. And then the switch happened is when you suddenly were max level and you were OP as fuck. And you then turned around. Yeah, that is that you had that predator moment when you're like, okay, let's fucking do this. And you then the went and hunted. becomes the hunter. Exactly. And you suddenly turn around and go, right, no, this is the moment I'm going to mess these boys up. And you go and then, and you attack them. And I, I had some really nice moments like that. Um, another one I would go for would probably be Rune, which I've talked about on the podcast before as well, which is, um, I think it's like early 90s uh, Rune is. But it was my first sort of introduction to... Um, and to be fair, I don't, I don't think, I don't think people would say it was bad, but I don't think many people would even remember it to maybe say it was, it was good, like you know, top five games that you might not other people sure. would say game. But it was effectively you start off as a Viking kid and you work your way up and you get you grow up through the course of the game and you end up um, and you get new equipment and you end up as this suit hard as nails Viking warrior by the end. It was my first introduction to kind of that sort of RPG style. Um, you know, living through the game and getting more and more hardcore, which I loved. And it was, it was because so, it was the visual side of like leveling up. It was the stat side of leveling up. Some games, I don't like it when you level up a piece of gear, but it looks the same. I need, I want the visual hook as well, but I also don't like leveling up gear whereby you put on something that looks better, but the stats don't change because I'm like, why do I look like I'm wearing a massive armored shield, but it doesn't protect me? Like that to me just is dumb. I want it to look good and to work well and rune kind of had that like you could literally pick up shields and, and weapons are on the floor and then you know start off with a wooden shield end up with like something made of steel and it was just much better um oh i'm gonna i'm struggling now what have you why you tell jamie give me a couple that you've uh, got, man, uh, i was just rattling around online for a second there just to kind of get some some prompts and some inspiration because i can't find anything that's particularly recent for some reason if i go back to kind of like my teens and that time where, like, when I was just playing anything and everything, and I was far more easily enamored with games that weren't actually doing anything interesting. There's a laundry list of titles that I can mention, but recently it's tough. I remember one thing that kind of creeps to mind, even though my opinion on it has softened over the years, and I acknowledge it's really probably not as good as I ho- hoped it would be, was The Order 1886, yeah. which was a game that I was, you know, and this was a big part of it, make no mistake, I was excited for. Um, I bought day one at full price, and I was like, this is going to be my jam. You know, this is first-party Sony. This is a big, expensive project. And I remember thinking that the story was better than people made it out to be, and I didn't think it was as big a deal that it was a fairly, by-the-numbers, uh, third-person cover shooter outside of that story. And I remember not even being that bothered by the length. Um, uh, over the, I haven't, not, without going back and playing it, I have kind of, as I said, softened on that stance over the years, and I... I think as listeners to this podcast will know, I don't champion that game or anything like that. But that was certainly one at the time where I was like, uh, people are being nitpicky and being harsh for no reason, and this is actually a good game, when the reality is I I don't think it's particularly good. Um, A lot of the other stuff, though, kind of... It's not so much that it would factor into like my best games of all time. It's just, like I said, like when I go back to the games that I was looking at here, that I'm making notes of here, Army of Two, The 40th Day, uh, Kane and Lynch 2... Dog Days, um, True Crime Streets of LA, Scarface, The World Is Yours, the EA published Godfather 2 video game. They're all titles that were like getting, depending, like it varied from like game to game. But like even like Kane and Lynch and Kane and Lynch 2, they were getting like sixes at the time. Like they weren't particularly well reviewed games. The first one, controversially so, 
but I always just had a weird sort of like I, there was something about like the kind of the grittiness of those games and how ugly they were that kind of uh, that quite appealed to me. Um, um, and I think that some of that applies to games like Army of Two, the Fortieth Day, and and Scarface: The World Is Yours. Um, yeah, that's it, it, my mind goes back to that region, that era, for some reason when when asked that question. That is a great era, actually. It's funny you said like Army of Two, and that I remember playing the first Army of Two game, and yeah, thinking how good it was and thinking like yeah. this is and and how did it you say it to, i've got to double check i don't I, I think the i think it did all right i think 40th day was the one that got us a bit slammed um see but not even, a bad not a bad game really like it's just a weird game in some respects the, both low 70s okay so not bad then well not good but not but bad. see that's the thing like it's not bad and it makes sense and it's probably in line with what we what we thought maybe we kind of certainly liked it slightly more because it, it it's inherent sort of like appeal to our sensibilities but like nowadays if a big like a visceral equivalent developer and ea equivalent publisher put out a new ip like third person shooter you wouldn't call it dead and arrival with the 72 on metacritic but no. you'd be like oh there's work to be done yeah nobody would say that was a success they wouldn't be like yeah well done you've, you've done a successful launch yeah. um I, I, another couple that i'd put in there Again, I think I'm similar to you. Like, I don't think people would say they were bad games, but I think it's more over that they wouldn't be regarded. That people wouldn't put them high up on any list. One would have to be, and it, I think it is over, unfairly overlooked, um, but probably for good reason, uh, is GTA 3. Um, GTA 3 was groundbreaking in so many ways, like for me personally. Like, I think nowadays you can, it's easy to look back and say, um, you know, come on, like Vice City or like uh, San Andres, or, or it's easy to say those things now. But actually, I think without GTA Three, you don't have any of those games. It, even then, like the difference between GTA Two and GTA Three is completely different. Like they're com- they're completely different games. And without GTA Three, you wouldn't have had any of the others. I don't think because that set the groundwork for what they were going to be like. Um, and it blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. Um, it's still to this day a game that I think I can remember missions from. Um, I can remember like yeah. things you have to do in that game, and it was because I was so excited about how good it was. Uh, one that you often bring up that how can I not mention has got to be Warrior Within, the Prince of Persia game from like early two thousands. Again, because it was like a weird sort of departure yeah, now, from. Now you're just picking out like games that were like in GTA three and Prince of Persia Warrior Within. You're picking massively critically acclaimed, massive selling games. I don't, I, I, I no, I know, but I'm trying. But I'm saying they wouldn't be on other people's top fives. Nobody would put them on their top their top five list. So that's what I, I can't really okay. think of any of the games that I would say are bad games that I would put up there. It's, 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 this is terrible. It's so much easier to take games that other people like and say that they're not that good. Yeah, like when you, when you, when you said war, we're talking about Warrior Within, I thought you were going to say The Warriors, which I was also going to completely agree ah. with. The, the Warriors. The Warriors was actually quite a good game. That's, that's but then, an interesting. But one. then I'd also. This is the tricky thing about Shell's question is like, I wouldn't put the Warriors on my top five. Of course not. I wouldn't no. put any of the games we've talked about today on my top five. My top five would all be games that would be on other people's top five, I think. But then, I don't know. Like, but because like, I agree. It's completely unique to me that, that I don't know if there is one. Yeah, I, I, it's really hard to say games that people. If it's games that people don't like. It's weird because there's usually always an audience for it. There's always a group of people that do really like it. I don't think there's any games. Maybe Evolve. Evolve is then is going to be the Evolve is, one I have, is but... I think the best shout we've got from this conversation. 
in terms of fitting that, that criteria. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's tricky. I can't. I can't think of any others. We. I. Do you know, we should make it. We should actually do a list and actually sit down for probably take weeks to try and put together an actual decent list of games we like and other people don't. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I, would be interesting. I guess like, but, yeah. a great, great question. That is a good question. So it's a, th- you know, it's a good question when it's a thoughts that where we're, we're, we're still thinking about how we're going to answer the question after we've answered the question. Um, maybe we'll get back to on that. Maybe not. Maybe we'll make, maybe, hey, if we make some, um, end of the year, uh, success again, some Christmas present success, maybe something like this pops up. Yeah. I don't know. We've got to finish the fucking quarry first. We've got things to do. Um, one of the things, though, that Jonesy often interrupts our ability to do the things we need to do is our desire to just play and watch or just about do anything else other than something productive or proactive, which leads me yes. to the question, uh, what have you been up to in the last week that has occupied your time? Oh, I have, Unfortunately, I haven't had time to play many games. It's that time of year. It's like my, uh, it's the summer holidays in the UK. Um, mm. I guess it's for America as well, in like Canada and a couple of other countries. Um, but yeah, it makes it a little more difficult to uh, have time to play too many games. But I, I have am now in a new office. So I'm actually not in my house anymore. I've actually got some decent office space, and I recently moved over my Vive and my little lighthouses and everything. My original Vive. I don't have a fancy one. Um, and I've wanted to play some more Half Life Alex for quite a long time um, because I hadn't finished it. And one of the reasons I didn't was because I was getting kind of pissed off with trying to play it in my small ass dining room with like no space and having to like move around and. Because it's not, you don't need room scale for Half-Life Alex. You can walk around and you can do stuff. Um, but I just kept like banging into shit. <laughs> like I'd bang into my yeah. table. I'd bang into my stairs because you like you have to turn. And I think I even had one bit where I was trying to look inside a box and I had to like, I went to like pull it and I literally punched my stairs <laughs> and I hurt my hand. So I was like, okay. Oh, because not- your knuckles are still protruding from the thingy. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I was like, do you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm going to... So then I stopped playing it. But now that I've got a lot more space, I uh, booted it up and had a little more play and did not have fun at all. Oh, why? Um, because I need to get back into it. Like, you know when you haven't played a game for a while? I couldn't remember how to reload the gun, for one. Uh, well, it's a VR game, so it's probably something to do with let the clip fall out of the gun somehow and put the next one in. <laughs> no, it is, but I had no bullets. And then I was... And I couldn't... Oh, remember, I, I had... um. I also had a uh, grenade and I couldn't remember where you put like uh, ammo and stuff. I was like, have I got ammo? I've just forgotten it. So I'm doing like, in like beat, uh, not beat saber. What is it? Like space pirate trader. I'm like, is it behind my back? Is it down here? Like how have I got no ammo? Where do I keep ammo? And then, so I was just kind of like trying to sort this out. And then I found the grenade. I was like, oh, it's a grenade, isn't it? How do I use the grenade? I can't remember how to use it. And it's like, which button is it? And I'm like opening menus and changing what I'm holding. And, uh, um, this, and so I, d- Sorry, I save it actually. <laughs> but I, I think I played for about an hour and a half, um, and and by the end I was I was like okay I remember how to do I remember how to do this I remember how to do that, um, and then it was like a couple of annoying bits where I was trying to fight face huggers and um, you know monsters alien monsters whatever the hell they are coming at me and it was one of those where they it wanted me to like go and get the ammo from the side to load the gun and shoot the thing before it got me, and because I hadn't played it that recently everything was slow and clunky. And so trying to be quick and agile was not really helping. But what also kind of frustrated me a little bit about that game was I remember Half-Life being quite sort of a 
an agile, fun, um, you know, shooter with horror elements. But one of the issues I had in Half-Life Alex is in, in just this little bit of the playful I was doing, I was in a uh, underground train station area where I had to get um, out of the out of there and into a hotel. Um, and they obviously knew that they the problem they had with like ammo and stuff. So they literally just had grenades everywhere. So you just walk along and there was a grenade and then a guy came around a corner and you throw the grenade. And then there was another guy came around a corner. And there's another grenade just sitting on the side. And then you walk to the next section and then there were just some more grenades there. And I'm like, all oh, right, so now more guys are going to come out. And is they still have the problem. They haven't dealt with the mobility issue in VR so that they have to get, they have to get around it by going, don't worry about the enemies because there's all this stuff right here really nicely. There's a grenade and some ammo and some whatever. So you can pick it up and chuck it. But it just detracts from the, the gameplay side of it. It's still so cool to be inside the Half-Life world and to be mm. able to... And that, that, like, the game looks fantastic. Like, the way that you can you know, see everything and interact with stuff is still wicked. But it's not it's not there yet, and I forgot how much how how far it needs to go before it's a fully fledged game. Um, in general, games in general in VR before they're fully fledged game titles. Um, and Half Life Alex is it's more of a Half Life VR experience, which I should have remembered. I've played it before, but yeah, but no, but I, I need to get I need to have a get back in there and, and crack on. Whatever, kind of bums so. me out hearing you say that, like. No, it's it's. It, I guess the way you're describing the experience in a moment-to-moment capacity doesn't differ that much from what my understanding of that game was. But it, it sounds like you're a bit more negative about it. Like I still remember Half-Life Alex as the thing that made me jealous of people that had headsets just a couple of years ago, and now, like in the course of one conversation, I'm like, ah, eh. do you know what it is? Is it, there's sections of that game that I remember quite well. Uh, but when I played it originally, which is like when you walk outside and you look up and you know you've got the ship or whatever the buildings and stuff and it looks insane and then you have the health stations where you like pull the thing down and you put your hand on it and you've got a hook and it's wicked and that stuff is incredible but it lends itself to uh almost like a vr movie that you could be interactive with and maybe that's what needs to happen that's where we're at at the moment it's more like it's a it should be more like a movie where you have set pieces whereas because it's still trying to get you to walk around and be it and it's trying to be a half-life game it's going, no, you can walk around. And those are the bits that definitely bring you down because you're holding a button on your, on your um, controller to walk around, which is I don't like anyway. And then you've mm. got that, you know, you can click another button to turn around, which again is, is a way around movement, but it's not great. Um, and yeah, and then, and then when you get these kind of, I'm trying to, there's something, oh, this, it really, what, what is the thing I'm trying to think that really reminds me of? Um, um, so okay as an example when you see um like alien you know okay the, the xenomorphs in alien that are really fast and they're terrifying and you know and they, they sort of come at you really quickly when you watch them in a movie it works and when you play in a game like we played fire teams elite like it works because they have to because you can be quick and dynamic and it, and it fits the world if you made a vr game with xenomorphs and face huggers in it you would have to slow them down to such a degree that it would almost change what they are. If that may- and I think that's yeah, the same okay. issue that Half-Life has got, is that the things in that game are like jumpy and scary and, and you want the interactive side and you just don't have it yet in VR. It's too slow and clunky, is what I'm trying to get at. It's a long-winded way of saying it's slow and clunky. But, <laughs> okay. 
Let's move on from something that's uh, not Sloan Clunky. I, me. That's what Sloan Clunky you know, like, Alex. It's me. Let's be I, honest. There is one thing, though, that I just want to say, that I point out that it is very funny to me, is that you started off that segment by talking about how how much harder it is to play video games at the moment because it's summer holidays and you've got the kids around and, like, in this era of Switches and Steam Decks and mobile phones and stuff like that, the, the one game experience you did make time for was a fully immersed virtual reality experience. <laughs> yeah, you know, summer holidays and kids <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, so I spent a few hours in VR. Well, that's because I was in the office with my PC and my Vive, and I and no kids, and I could just do it for like an I, hour. I, and something half. tells me, Jonesy, that you should pick up a couple of new releases and tell your wife you need to spend a few days in the office. In the office, uh, and one of the issues when it comes to the Switch uh, and PlayStation, and everything is my kids are on them all the time. Get a like, Steam Deck and don't tell them about it. That's my. That's that is a good idea. That's a good idea. Tell them it's I'm, daddy's. It's a it's for work. I've told them they're not allowed to play some stuff because my kids are six and three. And my three-year-old, he goes and gets the Switch on, him, on his own. He goes and sits down and he plays Kirby. And he loves it. Like, he'll just get on there and start cracking. And then I'll be like, oh, I was going to play the Switch. And he's playing. And if I pick it up, he comes over. What are you playing? What are you playing? And I'm like, it's nothing that you need to worry about. Driving he's like, can I play? Can we play together? What are you playing? Like, so that's one of the things. We- and then the PlayStation, Jesus, they're on it all the time. PlayStation, they're on it all the time. So um, I only get to play that when they go to sleep which is sad, but they enjoy it. So, you know, I'm not going to say anything. My six-year-old's getting damn good at games as well, which is kind of scary. I don't think it'll be that long before he's There's money in that, Jonesy. Yes, no, that is very true. That is true. Um, But do you know what? I will touch on something else I've done as well that I can't really do when the kids are there, just in case it's not uh, kid-appropriate, which is I started watching the new Star Trek series, Strange New Worlds, which I've wanted to for ages since I even heard about it. And I didn't know how I watch it. And then I found out that it was on Paramount, uh, TV Plus in the UK. So I could sign up. Uh, I think it was like free for the first week as well. Um, signed up. So I've watched a few episodes of that. And I'm happy to report it does feel very Star Trek, which is one of the things I've been lacking in the last few uh, start. Like this, the movies, obviously, with um, Chris Pine, they don't, they're very cool, but they're not like Star Trek, this, the TV show. Because I like the original series, The Next Generation. Voyager, like I love all those things. And even like Enterprise. Sorry, go on. Picard? Picard, yeah. I started watching Picard and I will finish it, but it it's not like a star it's not Star Trek. It's not like a Star Trek series. It's more like a character from what right. I can tell. How, it's more like a character thing about Picard and, and him. Has that mental season of Picard that brings back all the old actors come out yet? You know, oh, yeah, the, yeah, that's out, that's out, yeah. That's out. The one where, like... I, I watched, of, from what I understand, it's out. I can't remember which season it was meant to be, but one of them where they were like, fuck it, we've tried to make the show good, we can't, so we're just going to bring back all the crazy... We're going to bring back LeVar Burton and Jonathan Frakes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain that was the se- that season two, right, that was that was the luck that came out. So, but, and I really want to see it. I love all those characters. I grew up on The Next Generation. Like, I love Star Trek. But I really... When I started watching Picard, I really missed the... Um, just like the Enterprise flying around and it's all nice and happy and then something messed up happens and then all the shit hits the fan and they've got to save the day and then by the end of the episode everything's all lovely again and then mm. in the next episode like the Simpsons. it's the same thing and they cover so many topics and they deal with like you know uh, holograms with, that are run by AI becoming conscious and like leaving the holodeck and messing with shit or um, I don't even know like Worf's got to go and fight someone with a Batleth because they're 
you know, for his honor or whatever. I love all that stuff. I, that was what I really got into about Star Trek. And they even had like moral lessons and they would, it would deal with like weird scientific stuff and, and psychological issues. It was like, you know, it was, it was covered the gamut. Um, and that's what I was really hoping to get a bit more of. And the Voyage is the same as that. Like uh, Deep Space Nine's, I think, to a lesser degree. But then like Picard is much more of a, from what I could tell, is much more of like, it's just following Picard and his journey. Um, so I kind of fell off really quickly. And the Osiris, funnily enough, Seth MacFarlane's show, comedy show, is something that was kind of filling the filling the gap I had um, for that sort of Star Trek thing because it's a Star Trek ripoff, uh, and they have there is it is a Star Trek show. Like right. I don't know if you have you seen it. No, I've no idea what that is. So I, I oh amazing. Yeah, I, I think is I've I've got absolutely. I almost, I, I, I just don't know anything about Star Trek. Like Star Trek didn't have any <laughs> impact or bearing on me whatsoever for my entire life. I've seen a couple of the movies that you mentioned with Chris Pine, but that's that's it. I've never seen an episode of any other season of any other Star Trek show. I don't know anything right. about it. Well, so, so Strange New Worlds uh, happen is actually set um, just before uh, the original series, so it's like six years, I think, before James T. Kirk takes over the Enterprise. Um, okay. I believe it's uh, six, six years before. So yeah, he takes over and, it, and it's, so it's, it feels very much like it fits in that whole canon thing. They have a weird thing in Star Trek now because there's an alternate timeline, but this I think is not that. I don't even know. I'll have to check. Someone let me know in the comments. Does the new series, Strange New Worlds, fit with the original Star Trek timeline or is it a new, on the, on the movie timeline, which was weird and went different because obviously uh-huh. Khan, yeah, it all went mental. But anyway, so that's what I've been doing this week. So when does it come about to just that. Khan? I remember yes, that. Yes, in yeah, in the in the new timeline, he's calm. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it gets fucking complicated. Why do they do this? I watched uh, Doctor Strange a few weeks ago, and I'm like, I'm so over the multiple universe thing. Star Trek maybe doesn't have a choice though, because it's been around for so long, and there's been so many iterations, so many different ships and crews and eras and stuff like that. At some point, they accidentally started overlapping. I'm sure, and they're like, "Fuck, we've got to create." No. That's not true. I don't see why they had to do that at all. They could have just gone after the next after the next generation. Keep going forward. But then at some point, I don't know. Yeah, you, you're right. You could just keep going forward indefinitely. But they went back. They went back. And then they went sideways. It's like, maybe just go forward. Maybe just go 100 years after the events of the next generation when no one can remember what canon would have had going on now anyway. And just do yeah. your own thing. Also, Jonesy, I can I can confirm. I don't know if this piques your interest, but the the thing I was referring to about Star Trek Picard is season three, which is coming early next year. And oh, it is, it's not. I thought uh, it was out already. I thought they they had the no. So Lavar Burton, Michael Dawn, Jonathan Frakes, Gates McFadden, Marina Sirtis, Brent Spiner, what? Jerry Ryan, and Michelle Hurd are all coming back. All right, go hit me. Go again. Read the read. Do you want the character again? names or the actor names? The character I want the I want the, the actor names, but slower. Lavar Burton, Geordie LaForge, Michael Dawn, Worf, Jonathan Frakes, uh, Riker, Gates McFadden, Beverly Crusher, Marina Sirtis. Oh, I had such a crush on her as a kid. That is Deanna Troy. You're you're hundred percent so far. Brent Spiner. That is Data. Jerry Ryan. Uh, Jerry Ryan is uh, seven of nine, and. Uh, Michelle Hurd. I, oh shit! I don't know that one. Michelle Hurd. She was. Oh, actually. Oh, so Michelle Hurd is a character from Picard who's returning in this season. Ah, right. Okay. That see that that is my childhood. 
Right. Those characters are my child. I'm even because there's even a difference between do you like Gates McFadden as the doctor or do you like the previous doctor? And I like I'm Gates McFadden. I think she's better. And then you've got um, also security officer because before Wharf, it was um, oh the, the female security head of security who di- who's who died in an episode. And I didn't like her. I like Michael Dawn as as Wharf. Okay, interesting. Well, but then you were a okay. man. But no, but it depends because it depends what they do with the series. It depends so, what sort of missions they go on and how it works. I can tell you that um, Metallus confirmed that these would not be brief uh, cameo appearances and said all of the cast would appear together in the season. After initially avoiding bringing back the full cast, executive producer Alex Kurtzman said they had a good story reason to reunite them in the third season and the producers felt they had earned the right to do so after the first two seasons. That's, okay, that's cool. I d- there's a little part of me that worries it's going to be like an old people's home. I'm sure it won't be, hmm. but they've all got to be getting on. Like Picard is well old. The, uh, Patrick as a, Stewart. As a, as a character or an actor? An actor. Uh, Patrick Stewart is 82. Wow. Like the others are obviously a lot... Uh, well, I was going to say a lot younger, but maybe they're not a lot younger. Uh, like maybe LeVar, a- but LeVar Burton going strong at 65. Michael Dawn's 69. Freaks is sixty nine as well. Um, they're all get yeah, they're all getting up there. They're yeah. not that old though. But I, I, Patrick Stewart is the one who strikes me as like being a lot older. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Sorry, people that like video games. I've talked about Star Trek far too much. Everyone, the Star people who hate Star Wars are going to be doubling down with the people who hate Star Trek now. They're going to be getting pissed off. That'll be the last time I talk about Star Trek, though. unless a Star Trek game comes out, which I really hope they make. I would love it. You could just made a good Star Trek. Game. Renew your subscription to Star Trek Online, Jonesy. Just bring that whole fad back. <laughs> do you know what? Here's something that's going to happen. I'm going to do this. Is what I'm going to do for Shell Shock. Do you know what? And I'm not going to talk about it though. I'll comment. I'll say it in the Discord. I'm going to get Star Star Trek the video game, which is awful, apparently. The, oh, the one based on the movie? Yes. The recent movies. Because I've always wanted to play it, but I never did because it's so bad, apparently. Um, I, will, I will get it and I'll play it and I will, on the Discord, talk about that as one of the five, maybe, okay, nice. that I like that everyone else hates. If it's got online co-op and it's on Steam, I'll play it with you. That would be... I would love that because it is a co-op thing. It's, it's the... Because it's, it it's got... uh, Spock and uh, Kirk, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So I think it does. It must have online co-op. The question is, was there a PC port, and is it like readily available on I Steam? Don't know. And, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't it, know about d- any of that. Does it still function? You know, probably not because it was apparently so bad. The AI is supposed to be terrible. <laughs> you say AI that, but, uh, yeah, I think it sold pretty well, or I assume did it, it sold really? really well. I don't. I don't know. I, I, there's a, there must be a reason I remember it. Um, is all I'm thinking. Oh, and because maybe, of maybe, how bad it was. I think that's what. Is this the about. one that came out in 2013? Even that seems too too late. There was a um, there was a, a PC version. Um, it, it did review horribly. Metacritic. The PS3 version has a 45 on Metacritic. Oh wow, that is, is really bad. which is really really uh, nasty. Um, oh. Star Trek Into Darkness director J.J. Abrams stated in September 2013 that he was hurt by the game's poor reception and quality. <laughs> I like that he was hurt by the reception and the quality. Surely you got to be hurt by one or the other. How can you be hurt by the no, reception if, if the quality was bad? If the quality was bad, the, re- the reception was good, he'd be like, oh, phew, thank God, the fans loved it. We no, made it I mean, the but fans. what I mean is if you're hurt by the quality, you, should, you shouldn't you should be hurt by the reception because you know it's terrible. You should be like, yeah, that makes sense. 
or you should like the quality and, and be hurt by the reception. Do you know what I mean? You can't be hurt by something which is shit that you put out there. You've hurt me with, you've said it's bad. It's like, you know it's bad. You said it was bad. I reckon you need to take this up with um, <laughs> JJ. JJ Abrams, Jonesy. Uh, well, yeah, we'll look into that. Jamie and I will look into that, and we'll if it is multiplayer, we'll stream some. Yeah, <laughs> we'll stream sure. how that bad works. that game is. We can commit to that. We can commit to that. Mm. Um, in the meantime, Jonesy, do you want to ro- uh, start rolling through what's happened over the last week in the games industry? Yeah, man, let's do it. Well, all right. In that case, then, let's pick up where pretty much where last week's podcast left off, because uh, as we signed off last time, I think the it wasn't quite that night. It was the next day, I believe. THQ Nordic, who, for anyone that are counting, are indeed an Embracer Group subsidiary slash were the Embracer Group slash... It, it's a messy one. But basically, THQ Nordic, a part of the Embracer family, let's just say, held a digital showcase last week for a bunch of upcoming titles. It was a bit of a mixed bag, Jonesy. I can't lie. Um, some things that were kind of like remakes or long-awaited sequels to games that clearly are fan favorites in some corners of the world, sometimes games that were massive in certain countries, and sometimes games that just have really small but really hardcore fan bases. Um, But I thought we'd pick out some of the more interesting titles to us and what we thought our community might be interested in, one of which has to include the first thing that was shown in the whole showcase, which is the official, excuse me, unveiling of Alone in the Dark, a reimagining, they're calling it, of the classic horror series. Uh, apparently it's been in development for four years, and one thing that might interest people is that Mikhail Hedberg, who is a writer on both Amnesia and Soma, to, I'd, I'd say, modern horror classics in a roundabout way, is over there directing and writing. Uh, so that, as I said, was officially revealed, and we got our first look at a trailer for that. Some people saying it kind of gave them... Uh, sort of like Resi 2 remake vibes in terms of how it's been yep. modernized and updated and the, and the and the visuals and presentation and how it's kind of been adjusted to a more conventional, um, over-the-shoulder, third-person perspective uh, befitting of a modern-day release. What were your kind of vibes off this um, as an initial reaction? I don't... I thought there was a weird humor to it, which I wasn't mm, expecting. Yeah. Um, and and which didn't kind of fit the gate some of the gameplay. Um, but if the if it does go down that kind of less survival horror thing and more of like a there's a bit of a tongue in cheekness to it, or a, maybe not tongue in cheek, but maybe just a slight light heartedness to some of the horror. Um, I'm I think that's a much more sort of a, a pleasing direction for me. Like uh, there's so many like out and out scary slash horror slash like you know. Dead Space or Callista Protocol, like there's so many of those sorts of games coming out. I don't mm-hmm. think we need a remake of an older sort of horror game in that that stable. I think we can absolutely have something that's a little bit different. And um, what did you think? What was your take? Yeah, similar. And what it made me do was not just sort of open my eyes for the potential for something different in that kind of genre or subgenre, but also just made me realize that in spite of the fact that I recognize Alone in the Dark as kind of like an OG horror franchise and like. People have got stories about going to their friends' houses back in the 90s and playing Resident Evil for the first time or playing Silent Hill for the first time. For some reason, I have that with Alone in the Dark. I remember right. going to my friend Jack's house um, when I would have been about, I think we were about eight or nine, and he had an Alone in the Dark game on. It would have been PS1 playing that. And what it made me realize is that all these years, and I don't know what those original games were like, I put it in that same bracket as a Resident Evil or a Silent Hill, and I actually know very little about what Alone in the Dark really is, or what it's about, or what its kind of history is, and 
Me too, whether yeah. Or not, whether or not, yeah, like slightly more comedic or tongue-in-cheek or even self-aware elements could be squeezed in there without it being unusual or out of the ordinary for the series. So curious to see if that is a direction. I I, I played the demo for the, the attempted reboot, which I remember kind of tried to take like a, a kind of a TV kind of procedural um, element to it with like every time you load it up, it was like previously on Alone in the Dark. And like, right. I remember thinking that was quite cool. It had some cool ideas, but was also quite janky. Um, but I hope there's an angle here. Like, yes, you're bringing in someone with real writing chops in the form of Mikhail Hedberg, um, and I'm sure you can make something very scary, but you're absolutely right. Like, in a world where Resident Evil is doing what it's doing, um, and there, and, and, and the independent or sort of, like, triple-I horror scene, when you look at, like, I don't know, like, Bloober Team, people like whoever you want to look, like, there's a lot of horror out there. Like, the horror appetite has grown, the horror market has grown. You need to think of an interesting twist for a reason to bring bring something like this back, and I hope they find it. Yeah, definitely, definitely agreed. Yeah, elsewhere, another game though that caught both of our eyes, Jonesy, from Three Fields Entertainment, um, who is a, a group of developers that previously worked on series like Burnout and Need for Speed. Um, they kind of came back a handful of years ago. For anyone that remembers uh, random indie titles like Dangerous Golf which we actually played in the ATG days, Jonesy, and they moved on to Dangerous Driving, and I think there was a Dangerous Driving 2, none of which were out of this world, but they're clearly still trying to head further and further back into the direction of the peak burnout formula that they themselves created back in the day, um, and they are trying again to do so with their new game, Recreation. That's Rec spelt W-R-E-C-K. Get it? Rec, like wreck your car. Like, oops, you wrecked your car in a big car accident, and now it's flipping all over the place. It looked fun. It did look fun. I thought this looked really cool. Um, it was a weird one because it was like, it looked like they'd watched a whole load of those shorts where people share where it's like a, you know, a GTA mod or whatever where they're just driving around really weird levels. And they'd gone like, yeah, let's just make that a game. Um, and, the, and then they'd maybe played a bit too much um, uh, Hot Wheels and said, we should tie these things together and give people creation tools to make crazy tracks. And do crazy shit and get smashed up, but it looked it looked cool. It looked like a lot of fun. It was something that I could actually imagine playing and saying. Um, it was, I'd, I'd even go so far as they had like Fall Guys elements because they had the right, big fans spinning around and knocking people out and, and taking out cars and things. Um, yeah, and things that would like knock you off the track and that. And I was like, that okay, that's actually quite a cool concept. Um, it's gonna rely again on we've said this before, like it's gonna rely on people building good tracks and, and people that people wanna race on. Um, whether they're just gonna rely on uh user generated content for that, I don't know. Hopefully there'll be a load of, you know, in-house designers who are making cool tracks as well. Um but it's something that I could easily see a lot of people getting into. For sure, for sure. Uh, assuming again that it's released the right way and priced the right way. I think the other thing it's going to live and die on, though, is have they nailed the kind of like the feel of those crash mechanics? Right. Like, I remember one of the things that they nailed when um, I think it was Burnout 3 was just that, like, that was a game where there was literally a mode called Crash Mode. Um, and every, everything was so fine tuned and so fun to control and so dynamic and interesting that, like, the whole game felt like it could have been. I mean, Burnout has always been a great racing game, don't get me wrong, but, like, the, the crashing mechanics of their own felt worthy of those ideas being further explored in spin-off games. I just hope this is where Three Fields finally kind of find that balance. Um, and that in making it kind of this 
occasionally surprisingly large scale, as you mentioned correctly, I think Hot Wheels-esque racing game doesn't dilute the formula too much. Because if, if, if they end up making like an average racing game with occasional Fall Guys style traps or and like and average to good or middling like community support, then I don't know. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to work in too many pitfalls where a game could collapse in on itself. And I'm not suggesting no. that's what they've done, but I just hope they get the fundamentals right. And to get the fundamentals right with that pedigree, they didn't make need to make something this this big or ambitious. But right. at the same time, I admire that they have. I don't know if that point kind of was clearly communicated there, but yeah. No, no, I think I get what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was yes, because they could have done something simpler and smaller a scale, and, and it would still yeah. kind of tick all those boxes. But they've kind of gone big. <laughs> They're like right. No, we're going big and we're going over the top. We're doing but. like they're dangerous driving games. Like didn't have like big tracks. They were like short like things where you were doing big crashes and setting off chains of events and getting high scores. And they never quite nailed that. And they're already moving on to the next big thing, which is like adding racing and sort of like um, custom tracks and so on and so forth into it. So I just hope it all comes together. Um, One, I don't, I don't know if it was just um a visual sort of uh, hook that they did it. But um, I wondered if actually part of it was like that people could dynamically alter the tracks as people were racing. Yeah, and things could like fall onto the track while you were going along. And like, right. there was a hint. I couldn't I couldn't tell if that was a, a, a bit of flair that they were using in a, for the sake of a trailer or if that was a gameplay mechanic. Yeah, me too. Okay, good. Then it's not just, if, it's, if we were both confused about the same thing, then hopefully it's not an us problem. It makes for an interesting concept as well, like that someone can be going around changing the track as you're driving. Um, yes, yes. But also maybe annoying, because if you're playing online and someone just like deletes a section of the track, which means you can't yeah. race on it, then obviously that just piss you off. It, it's that fine balance between like a multiplayer experience that's different every time as a result of something like that, but also has that unreliability that you can never quite maybe get good at it or you can never master it because it's always got that hint of like, oh, I, I I maybe know this route like the back of my hand and I take this corner at this point and this is the apex right. I try and hit and it's like there was a ramp there this time. <laughs> but that could be they that dropped a fun. cow on it. Yeah, exactly. Someone dropped a fucking airplane on my car and now I can't move and I have to restart. <laughs> but, but hey, it's all a balancing act and um I look forward to seeing uh what kind of a balance they strike with all that stuff. Um I don't think there's a release date for that one as of yet i'm not i could be wrong there but um yeah we shall keep tabs on it we then though jonesy kind of got into the middle sort of like chunk of the showcase which i'll be honest i don't know if you felt the same way it was a little bit um niche um let's say lots of titles that even if they had twos and threes at the end of the name or even if there were remakes of things or even if i'd like vaguely heard of them i'm they still weren't necessarily for me so I might just rattle through a few examples of those and you stop me if anything uh, piques your interest. Um, what I've heard described as the most iconic German RPG ever, Gothic, is being remade for the current uh, generation of consoles by Alchemia Interactive. Jagged Alliance 3 is going to combine a strategic campaign with turn-based tactical combat and RPG elements. And then finally, from Appeal Studios, we have Outcast 2, A New Beginning, which is currently stated as coming soon to PC, PS5, Xbox Series S slash X. That, a that, remake and two sequels, Jonesy. 
Yeah, the Outcast Two kind of piqued my interest a little bit, just because of some but of the. But do you have any familiarity with Outcast One? Because no, it's, like it's a None. thing that I I feel like I recognise like key art or I recognise the protagonist, but I don't even know why. I I do you know I didn't recognise it at all. Um, but that's what that it's one of those weird things is when you see a sequel and you think, oh, this actually looks pretty good. Like, how have I never heard of the original? This is the kind of game it is. Um, but then it kind of got into some more of the gameplay, and it did maybe seem like it. It seemed a level of polish below, you know, a lot of other games. And so maybe that's why. Maybe it was a smaller game, smaller budget, you know, but it has got fans out there. That's why they've got, they're making a sequel. But I don't know. I don't know. But it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Cause it, I like the, the, the way the dude was traversing around the environment with like a jetpack and flying around and fighting some of those weird robots and stuff. It looked, it looked pretty cool. But it, yeah. Yeah. It, it gets even weirder, Jonesy. I will say, when you look at the Wikipedia, and you read that, um, so it was developed by Appeal and released by Infograms for Windows in 1999. The game was critically acclaimed. It was named Adventure Game of the Year by GameSpot in 1999. Um, a sequel 1999, out- though? Yeah. A sequel called Outcast 2, The Lost Paradise, was never finished due to bankruptcy. You look at the reviews. GameSpot gave it an 8.6 out of 10. IGN gave it an 8.5 out of 10. PC Gamer gave it 90%. Edge gave it an 8. Um, it wasn't a badly reviewed game. By any means. In fact, it was a it, it was a well reviewed game, but it also just it sold twelve thousand copies in the United States by the end of the year. It came out twelve thousand. Twelve thousand. Yeah. Wow. Okay. There you go. That's why. That's why we've never heard, played it because no one played it. Oh my. Okay. I'm looking at the trailer. <laughs> Global sales for Outcast ultimately reached four hundred thousand units by two thousand two. So it's thirty oh, oh, right. on the market here, four hundred k, not bad. And uh, yeah, but by those standards, arguably, you know, the turn of the century, uh, better still. But also, like, not great. Yeah, it's a weird game. I've never seen this game before. It's a weird looking game as well. I'm, I like I said, I watched yeah. a bit of the trailer for it, but does I can this, see what. I, sorry, go on. I was going to say, does this count as one of those games that you and I are convinced that no one could have ever really liked or had not nostalgia for, so that whenever you see someone who's super gassed about Outcast 2, you're just like, you never played Outcast. you're lying. You have no idea what you're about. I think it is one of those games. You're made up. Like, there will be, don't get me wrong, that's, if you're listening to this and you're like, what are you talking about? I loved Outcast." I'm not suggesting that you're, that we're, we're not suggesting that's not true. But there will be a subset of gamers online who come out and they'll be like a whole Reddit thing. Like, oh yeah, I love Outcast. I can't wait for Outcast 2. It's like, no, you're, you're 18. You've definitely never played it. The game is older than you are. Don't now tell me that this is a game you've been looking forward to. And, you know, for the last 10 years or whatever. Um, yeah. But, but it, look, it looked fun. Um, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. Check out the trailer for the first Outcast game because, damn, games have changed. <laughs> which is a definite positive. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's I haven't really got much else to say about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, Jonesy, beyond um, the uh, jagged alliances and the gothics of the world, there were also uh, a couple more known quantities that they uh, rounded out the show with. One I get out of the way quickly is AEW Fight Forever, which is a little partnership between THQ Nordic and sort of new WWE competitor All Elite Wrestling, and they're making an intentionally arcade-style wrestling game. I think it's even developed by... I think they're called Ukes, who used to make all the um, the WWE games before sort of 2K eventually took okay. over. So they're probably going for that throwback kind of early early noughties PS2 era wrestling game. 
interesting to see whether they hit that uh, dynamic and whether they kind of find that right balance between nostalgic but also fun and modernized um, when that comes out. Likewise, we're going to see the return of Crypto. I know you played the remake of Destroy All Humans on your Twitch account. Uh, God, was that last year or the year before? I can't even remember. The year before, I think. Crazy. Um, were you going to get another opportunity too when the uh, PS2 game Destroy All Humans 2 Reprobed uh, launches later this month, I believe? Um, yeah, that that um, it look like it looks cool. It looks fun. I I like Destroy All Humans. I'm I'm up uh, uh, jumping back in, having another blast. It. I don't think they did enough with the re the remake when they did remade the first one. This kind of looks like it's in the same ballpark as as the remake, which is fine. Like you know, it, it is what it is. Um, I maybe like to see a little bit more, but it it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like they've progressed the story, and now you're going to be fighting giant aliens, not just fighting humans and destroying all humans. You're also going to be destroying alien yeah. monsters. Um, adds a new dynamic to the thing. Adds a new adds a new um. I mean, they've even they even did the line in the trailer, which was like, "Oh no, crypto, your weapons aren't going to be effective." And you're like, "Oh great, so it's given me a whole impetus to go and get a whole bunch of new weapons in the game." Like, but yeah, that works. <laughs> I could do yeah. that. Um, I do, I do laugh because these days I always think of things as people being insanely careful about you know jokes they make and that. But there is a, also a joke they made at the end of the trailer where like the Russian spy, like very well endowed woman, falls over and crypto's like. Little cryptos rising or something like that, which I was surprised at. But at least they still got that, you know, some of that sort of uh, humor, maybe humor from the there's era. A, Jonesy, there's a lot that they can take away from us, but they cannot take away our boner jokes. <laughs> they can't take away boner jokes from crypto. No, not at all. Right. Um, but it looks fun. Yeah, yeah, it looks fun. Yeah. No, I, I'm interested in the same way that you are, in so much as I actually have a lot more. Um, in fact, I almost exclusively have a memory of playing the first Destroy Humans game on PS2. Very little memory or awareness of where that series went afterwards. So if they continue to remake these games, um, I'm going to be interested to see kind of what I missed out on back in the day through the lens of these uh, remakes, which, hey, they may continue to come if this game continues to sell well, this series continues to sell well. Um and then speaking I just, of- I, one thing I will say about Destroy, I, just, I would love a, just a brand new Destroy Humans game. Like that to me is, well, it's kind of frustrating that the, the, we say this about other games as well. Like you get Resident Evil and games like that. It's fine because they're remaking those because, hey, they're still making Resident Evil games. But so you can kind of have both. It's fine to remake games, but it would be nice to see a, you know, all balls to the wall, brand new Destroy Humans game where they're not. Maybe I'm being unfair by saying that the remakes you know, doesn't look that great. But I would just love to see them go, no, this is brand new, this is fresh. Here you go. That would be nice. Well, <laughs> As a fan of this. What I was going to say, though, Jonesy, is that if we continue, and of course you never know, but if we did continue supporting these remakes and we did purchase Destroy Humans 2 reprobed en masse, that could be something that remains in the future of the series because that's exactly what is happening to our old friend SpongeBob SquarePants. Because, of course, you can't say THQ without saying Nickelodeon. Um, the story over there is that uh, the team behind SpongeBob SquarePants' Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated, which was a remake of kind of a, a beloved uh, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants platformer from yesteryear, have been given the license to make a brand new SpongeBob SquarePants, and they are doing so in the form of SpongeBob SquarePants' The Cosmic Shake, which is a new 3D platformer that sees SpongeBob and Patrick traveling to a multitude of different wish worlds each with its own setting and rules. 
Um, so yeah, P uh, Purple Lamp Studio, as they're called, who made uh, Bik uh, Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated. So again, there is some implication there, some suggestion there, that THQ Nordic might be using, as others have before, remakes and remasters and so on and so forth, as a way for testing the waters for a brand new title. Um, it, it happened to uh, Crash Bandicoot as well. Like, the, you know, they remastered the original trilogy and that sold so well they made a brand new original Crash game. Um, of course, different publisher entirely, uh, different setup entirely. But it, it's not unusual um, for that to kind of be what's going on. Um, and so maybe that's something that remains in Destroy Humans' future should that game sell well enough or should any you know targets be hit. I'm not really sure the metrics are there. But how do you feel, Jonesy, going back to the the sponge himself about the cosmic shake? Uh, this is where I admit, like, I've I've never played a SpongeBob game. I've never watched SpongeBob. I've have I, no, I must have seen some of one at one point. I've seen more memes. If you if you put together my meme time, you know, time spent watching SpongeBob memes, it would be like, you know, Greenwich meme much. time. It would be a lot. The actual time I spent watching SpongeBob, the actual show, would be a tiny, tiny fraction of that. Um, I can relate. So yeah, this is. I'm happy for SpongeBob fans. It's one too. of those. I feel like I feel strange about SpongeBob because sometimes people will say they'll reference something from SpongeBob, and I feel like it's a complete area where I have complete blindness because I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, okay. And they're always incredulous at the fact that you don't know what they're talking about. You're like, what? You're amazed that I haven't seen this one Nickelodeon show from years ago. But I didn't have Nickelodeon. I was too old for it. Uh, it was it was an American show that I never had access to, and like of course I never watched it. Like, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I think age wise, yeah, like that's the main thing. And for you, there never would have been a time where it would have made sense to watch SpongeBob. Don't get me wrong, I now have watched I have watched, I watch shitloads of kids stuff now because I have kids, so I could tell you all about Paw Patrol and all about would, would you ever, PJ Masks, but I mean, not SpongeBob. Six and three, maybe not the perfect ages, but would you ever? If there was like a, a complete lack of anything new or interesting on streaming service for services, for example, that 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 you or that you wanted to find an interesting middle ground between what your kids watch and what you watch, where you're just like, "Fuck it, we're just gonna start season one, episode one of SpongeBob, and all all of us are gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it with them, and we're gonna see what's going on." Maybe if I put it on and it was if it was actually if I had watched one and it was actually good. Then yeah, possibly, but there is so much. I did that with my brother and Adventure Time during the uh, you know period right. where I, I liked Adventure Time, and he was of an age where it made sense to watch Adventure Time, and I was like, "This is bonding, right?" Yeah, this works. exactly. Like I've I've watched so much. I never watched Pokemon before having kids, and now I've watched loads of Pokemon um, mm. because my six year old loves Pokemon. And same similar with like Bluey. What a great goddamn show that show is. Like I love Bluey. No idea what that is. Yeah, exactly. Of course you don't. You can do it with the Simpsons, that you can stream all of those now. You just like wait till your oldest gets to like nine and be like, We're gonna just watch all the Simpsons. Because those are I think some of those are still legitimately wonderful to go back to. Oh no, they are. I was going to say. I think the problem with The Simpsons is it's actually not written for kids, and I, and no, young no. kids. I wouldn't. I don't really. They'd you would laugh they more get than they would. So easily. Oh yeah, for sure. Like that, they, they kids shows are so bright and colourful and dynamic, and also the, the age of my kids are. They're so basic as well. They're not. You don't really want like a anything that's too. I just concepts are too taxing like homer cheating on marge potentially and true, you know, true. Get, all that sort of stuff is a bit weird like they'd be like what's going on i'm like you don't want to know. i still feel though like for some reason 
when I was getting to that like 10 year old kind of range where like I wanted the next step and I didn't want something that felt like I was being spoon fed kid shit. The Simpsons was one of those things. Oh, I think that age. Yeah. Like nine, 10, 11, I think it's probably perfect. But right, I think okay. the age of my kids are at the moment, you know, they still believe in Father Christmas. But come on, they, they're, not, yeah. they're too young for the Simpsons. I wonder, because Pokemon suggests also that the transition I took in the interim, I remember there was a channel called Fox Kids where it had, yeah, it didn't have Pokemon, but it had Digimon. It had like the Jackie Chan Adventures or whatever it was called. And it had Sailor Moon. And I remember that was like one of my transitionary things of, um, I'm not watching, like, my, I'm not watching the, the, what were they called? The Twinkies? The, t- the Tweenies. The Tweenies. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, not watching, I'm not watching that but my brother can still watch that and I'll move on and then uh, Cartoon Network was kind of like touch and go where like maybe you'd stop watching I don't know some things aged kind of well were like De- Dexter's Lab and Courage the Cowardly Dog and Ed Ed and Eddie that stuff stayed relevant Ed Ed and Eddie <laughs> right. was my favourite for many many years I'm anyway. trying to even I don't yeah. yeah the problem these days is there's so much choice like you don't have to yeah. watch any like kids just watch absolutely anything they want. The first time my kids saw adverts, they were like, "What's this? Can we just skip this?" And I'm like, "No, sorry, that's not how it works. It's on the, live TV." The other thing that's fucked up about kids and kind of taps into like if you you don't feel like you need to find that much new stuff because of how weirdly willing they are to watch the same shit they've already seen over and over again. And yeah, like the all first the time. time I, yeah, the first time I watched one of my siblings with a get given a, an iPad with a movie playing on it. And they finished the movie and the credits were rolling and they walked up to me and gave it to me. As, and I thought they were giving it to me as though to say, like, hey, I'm finished watching it. And they said, can you put it back to the beginning, please? And I was like, oh, these kids are wired different. There's something <laughs> fucked up in their heads. This, this motherfucker's about to go and watch Despicable Me again for the fourth time in eight hours. When my eldest was... Uh, um, it's, it's funny because we often talk about games that look really good, uh, but they're not that well, you know, but they're not very good games necessarily the controls aren't that great the writing's not that great but they look really nice and it's something that's becoming more and more apparent with like unreal engine 5 um movies have kind of done a similar thing in that cgi and animated movies in particular can look really nice um mm. and just be crap like they can be such low budget shit that some but someone managed to get half decent animators to make you know some okay animations for um and kids will watch that crap my my eldest when he was three or maybe, no, actually, maybe a bit younger, two, maybe two. There was a film we watched one Christmas called The Magic Reindeer. Um, he mm. watched it every day for the next nine months. What? And he, well, I swear to God, we had to watch it every single day. And he even watched it a couple, some days he watched it more than once. He'd be like, he'd, be go, he'd just go, Maggle Reindeer, Maggle Reindeer. We were like, what? And he's like, Maggle Reindeer, please. And then he'd want to watch The Magic Reindeer. And he'd watch it. I it was like an hour long. I don't even think I can like find it. All that's coming up is some weird like Finnish Norwegian thing called Nico is, Two it, Little Brother yes, yeah, Big Trouble. That's it. What? That is it. How would you even like put something like that on to begin with, though? It was Just- it was on like Netflix or something. It was on one. It was on a streaming service, and it was a Christmas movie that we watched at Christmas, and it was called the Ma- and they called it the Magic Reindeer, but it is about Nico and his little brother. Uh, right, and it's. Because it's a sequel that we didn't realize, yeah, but halfway, it's, halfway it's a through to the Nico, it's in the Nico series originally. But I guess they right. realized there was an opportunity to just rebrand it as the Magic Reindeer and get Christmas traffic. Exactly, because his dad is Prancer, right? Know, so, uh, but it's weird because Prancer's left Nico's mum 
And so then Prance, uh, so Nico's then got a stepbrother and she's with a new reindeer. So it's, and she, she's annoyed with Prancer because she's like, you do too much dangerous stuff with him. It's like, when you actually think about it, it's such a weird plot for a kid's film. But How my old? kid just loved the, uh, the, yeah, two years old, 18 months. He just loved Magic Reindeer and he wanted to watch Magic Reindeer all the time. Also, so, like I said, for nine you, months, we watched it every day. Do you say he was two years old? I think he was between 18 months and two years old. And we, um, so, and we watched it every day. At that point, he was coming up to the stage where, like, for a third of his life, he had watched the Magic Reindeer. Yep. <laughs> what a strange thing! Like you talk about, think about how many years we've spent sleeping. He, for him, was the Magic Reindeer. And what's now is he doesn't remember it now. Yeah, crazy. He's like, what? What film? He's and like, he never mm-hmm. will. You'll remind yeah. him every Christmas, and you'll be like, Do you remember what's the Magic Reindeer every day? But like, no, shut up, Dad. What's what's funny is my wife and I quote stuff from it because we've seen it so many times and he has no idea and he has no and he's like what's that and we're like it's magic reindeer and he's like what's magic reindeer like shut up (laughs) you made us watch it every day there's a there's a line where someone says they say oh he gray wolf was your brother so someone says someone's was your brother or they say anything about was your brother the there's a the wolf in it the enemy goes was my brother it's like my wife and i always come out with that was your bro? Was my brother? That's what's good. Yeah, and uh, we still do it to this day, years, years later. Even though the, the kids are none the wiser, and Josie, I hate to uh, tell you, but they will remain none the wiser as they grow up and go through different phases, and one of which will no doubt be a rebellious phase where they stop listening to you and don't do anything they're told to do. And I'm sure that phase will be characterized by a newfound passion for the TV show South Park that will probably somehow still be running by that point, supported, in fact, by all the other forms of media that South Park continues to operate within, one of which looks like will be video games. Because at the end of the THQ Nordic Digital Showcase, we got a little confirmation that a new South Park video game appears to be in development at what were they called, like South Park Studios? It was something as upfront as that, right? Yeah, it was. Um, uh, I, I actually can't remember. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, it, basically just a kind of a little stinger at the end as though to say, hey, a South Park game is being made and it looks like THQ Nordic are publishing it. Um I think um, I'm right in saying that uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are involved because they were interviewed about a year ago saying that they were working on something at an in-house studio, and I presume that this is tied to the same project. Although questions you know, have to be raised immediately, where has it made sense you know, when Ubisoft were publishing South Park games for Obsidian, for example, to go in the RPG direction, what would a new team do with the open-ended license that's, uh, that is South Park? And what would you that, want to see? It's so weird. That is weird. That is a good question. Like, I, I can't remember what the other two are called that I've played. The sticky butt, was it the sticky uh, butthole? The, no, the, the, and the fractured the, butthole and the stick of truth. That's it. Oh, I blended they, them together. They, the, they, the sticky butthole. They came butt out hole. in the other, yeah, they came out in the, the other order. So the stick of truth was first. Um, Both actually really fun RPGs. And I, I games mm-hmm. that I meant for ages to go back and actually finish because they were solid games. And they were they were really fun, and they were set in a cool universe. But yeah, this is a weird one. Like I don't know where they could go with this. Um, I don't know where they. I don't know where I hope they go with it. I'm not really sure. There are many things I would think are better than the RPG route. But yeah, that's that's the weird thing is that like you go back to when 
much like with The Simpsons, I guess, South Park was one of those licenses through the late 90s and early noughties where it's just like, this is such a big deal, we have to make games. And they didn't know what they were doing. And so you had like really weird sort of like first-person adventure games and you had kart races and you had all the things you'd expect. And it was just like square peg, round hole, because there was no... What 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 we slowly realize, I think, with with franchises like that, is that you need a really solid idea and fundamentals first that South Park could then uh, adapt itself into. Um, right. And I yeah, I don't know what that looks like. That's another going back to the Marvel thing. That's another you know problem. I'm glad it's not my job to solve. I guess is what I'd say. Yes, no, you're you're so right. It's it's almost like you have the IP and you want to just skin a game, but then you just go, what's popular at the moment? What sort of games do people like? So, yeah, I can't imagine though, like first person shooter, a South Park game, like yeah. a uh, Battle Royale South Park game. That, okay, hold on, that would be sick. If they made a Battle Royale South Park game, that would be quite fun. But no, I, I, don't, not, I don't know. Honestly, I could see it being something where like they can't settle on a gameplay like tool set that makes sense. Like, like what, what does a South Park combat system look like and that being a weird difficult question to answer and so they end up making something that's just like imagine what the stick of truth and the fractured but whole were like but without any combat and so really it was just kind of like a sides not almost side scrolling adventure game that just um perfectly mimicked that art style but with maybe yeah. a little bit more emphasis on kind of like I'm not going to say like classic like Lucas Arts style um, puzzle solving, but you know maybe a little bit more like throwbacky, um, you know, adventure game style um, ideas with like an inventory and. Um, but then and, with know, no, you... oh yeah, no maybe. And, but just with the cool writing and sense of humor and character base that they're known for, without getting like caught up in a what does our combat system look like and blah 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 blah, just like making a. I'm just feel like the. I almost feel like the combat though was was almost there just to to extend the length of the game. I mean, true, I mean, but, no, it wasn't, but, but but like, don't extend, make it make make an eight hour long narrative driven South, South Park adventure game. That'd be cool. Yeah, no, that I'd I'd be down for that. I, I actually think the thing that in the end maybe uh, made me switch off and you know stop playing wasn't the story stuff. It was the combat. Uh, it wasn't because it was bad. It the combat wasn't bad, but it was like. It took a quite a long time to get yes. through the game, and to, and a lot of that was you're now fighting like there's now five of you that are going to do a uh, team based combat against another team of people, and you're like okay, and if you lost the fight, you had to do the fight again. You were like oh okay, and it, it was quite repetitive and it was quite long winded. So actually, I mean, you might have hit the nail on the head. I mean, or even if if it's not completely combatless, like a slim down, massively slim down combat system. Um, yeah. No, yeah, no hell, why not get rid of the combat? Have have the puzzle the story-driven um, puzzle game would, would make more sense. And also you could have, have a, bra- um, a fresh South Park story narrative without being, um, you know, all the filler that the combat kind of provides and takes away from feeling like you're in that story, um, which it kind of did. The, the other ones did do that a bit. Like you were enjoying the stupid story and then you had to do a 25-minute fight. <laughs> and you're like, what was I doing? Yeah. The only part that it was when it really worked was when the fights would break the fourth wall. And I remember what there was one very early on in the fractured but whole that did that wonderfully well. Um, I can't remember any of the characters' names, but um, it was about like 
a character trying to set rules that like they were setting the, the rules within the world and the conversation because obviously this was all playing right. out in the context of these were kids pretending these battles were happening but you were actually taking control of them and like a kid saying no i'm not dead i'm not dead you got that, that didn't kill me and it's, yes but it, yeah like that wasn't that, that the battle wasn't that the breaking. fight in the back garden and you no, go I'm out not. there and there's like a, a fort a camp fort or something i'm imagining uh, a, a, fight a pillow that, fort or something now I'm imagining a fight that happens, I think, early on in the fractured but whole, and it's it's in the bedroom in one of the oh. houses, and it's like some character's cousin. I don't know South Park well enough. Oh really no, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And he's okay. like a really whiny agree. bitch, and he's like, "I'm gonna, if you do this move, I'm going to tell on you." And like, that didn't kill me. I'm not dead. That kind of shit. Like that but, was can wicked, we break yeah, the yeah. fourth wall in like terms of break the rules of the RPG mechanics you're getting to grips with because it's also. The idea is these are kids pretending they're in these fights. Do you know what's they're funny is cosplaying, you, you know, and messing. We've around. already mentioned they're it. larping. They're larping. We've already mentioned that the the on this podcast, but um, uh, it takes two. Did a great job of kind of connecting, you know, of having a story which was like ran through, and then having different types, different elements of different games without getting stuck in any one genre, which is almost like I think is what almost what you're alluding to there with the fractured but whole. The one problem they had was they got stuck in that that um, that turn-based combat system. But actually, if yeah, you're right. If they'd have used it more as a uh, um, stylistic to actually maybe have different types of games, but their version inside of the South Park world, that kind of would make more sense to me. So you have a section where you do have a turn-based fighting system um, in one area, but then you go to a different area and maybe there's another kid who's into something else and it kind of changes and some other stuff happens. You know, that, that would be cool. Yeah, so anything that keeps it dynamic, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, right, let's uh, rattle through the last couple of notes because I know we're running a little bit long here. I will just say that the publisher, um, THQ Nordic, confirmed at the end of that showcase that uh, they have 43 um, games in development um, and of those, 25 were still unannounced by the end of the showcase. Um, that's if you include South Park. It was, it was The gag was it's 26. South Park gets into that, goes down to 25. You know the deal. Um, and whilst I don't think any of these two, uh, well, neither of these two games, Jonesy, would come under that banner because neither of them are THQ Nordic. They are still both embrace a group adjacent by different means. Uh, two other relatively big titles, one that's uh, scheduled for release later this year, one early next year, have seemingly been leaked uh, courtesy of retail listings that I believe were both came from Amazon. And whilst, yes, I know retail listings on Amazon can be a bit of a flaky source, these two were both pretty definitive when it came to the kind of leaks we get in terms of not just the names of the titles and the platforms and the release dates, but also in both cases, uh, box art, screenshots, uh, digital deluxe and deluxe versions, pre-order bonuses, um, uh, little you know blurbs and synopses about the game. Um, so... These, you've got to imagine, were both kind of like Gamescom or Gamescom sort of like in the vicinity of Gamescom scheduled announcements. The, yeah, sorry. I'm, I can't believe they keep doing this. Like, yeah. surely, surely at this point, whoever the manager is, is like, look, <laughs> we've, we've fucked this up numerous times. Can we please don't click the publish button until the date on the sticky piece of paper which I've stuck to your cubicle wall, okay? I think, like, I, I think the idea that there is an, an entire person with an entire, entire cubicle devoted to managing the release dates <laughs> for games just like these is a maybe slightly generous suggestion. Um, but you're right. 
even if it's on a system level, I don't know how things like these happen, but the two games that have fallen foul of it this time, Jonesy, first of all, it's Tales, uh, excuse me, New Tales from the Borderlands, which is a, a sequel to Tales from the Borderlands, um, but it is a slightly controversial one. The reason being that it was because Tales from the Borderlands was a Telltale Games joint that was actually quite well received and was seen to have some of the best world building, character building, and just general writing that the Borderlands series had maybe ever seen. This game, New Tales from the Borderlands, is not um, being developed by Telltale Games. It is, in fact, being developed by Gearbox themselves, who, following um, Borderlands 3 and Tiny Teens Wonderlands, have had their name in the crosshairs just a little bit when it's come to the quality of their writing and their caliber of their comedy these days and so the idea of a narrative driven basically store only story game um handled by gearbox has some people concerned also that's a bit unfair like tiny teen's wonderlands i don't that really it was there it's, it's, it's not bad but okay but i think more so when you think reflect on borderlands 3 and the way some of those characters were handled especially the other thing that happened in borderlands 3 that people were not keen on was the way ha- characters that were introduced in tales from the borderlands were yeah. reduced to nothing in borderlands 3 and were way right. less interesting um and it, those characters were basically dealt a very bad hand by Gearbox and now people are slightly concerned that this, you know, new narrative-led Borderlands game or tech game from the world of Borderlands that had so much potential could now potentially be um, left in their grubby mitts. I don't know if that's harsh, but... (laughs) Tiny Tina's Wonderlands wasn't funny. It was just fine. And it was... No, that's fair. By some good voice acting. Right. No, I think that's fair. But I don't think I would say that it was, um, from what I heard of it anyway, I don't think I would say that it was like particularly bad. I don't think I would say it was bad. I don't think I would say. I think, I think it should out better. Say. Okay. Like, like, no, I, remember, I remember at the time thinking, I think I said it on the podcast, like you went out and you got Will um, Arnett and you got Andy Sandberg and you gave them this, like this was the best material you had for Andy Sandberg. Um, and yeah, the idea yeah. of an entire Telltale style game written by even a semblance of that same team has i don't think it's unfair to put like warning signs on it <laughs> no that's okay i see where you're coming from that's, i suppose it's fair the other thing i will say that has people slightly concerned is the presence of a deluxe version of this game that also seems like it's going to be giving people a large sum of some form of currency um and again how sort of like currencies and pre-order bonuses and deluxe versions fit into a telltale style narrative driven experience uh some people are speculating pretty wildly online at the moment and most of that speculation is not that pretty jonesy as i'm sure you'd imagine yeah anytime you get currency tied into something like this it's a little bit worrying isn't it yeah exactly you if you pay you get a better experience you get better writing if you pay more money yeah, exactly <laughs> there's a little um uh, a little pop-up that comes up halfway through, like pay 99 cents to hear the other version of this joke. <laughs> I like this. It's super robotic, like written by an AI, you know, like really bad. But then uh, if you pay more... You mean like then, every piece written. of claptrap dialogue ever written? Yes. But then if you pay, if you pay like uh, $5, then you get um, a dialogue that's been written by a university graduate. And then if you pay an, an extra $5, you pay $10, you get dialogues written by a an actual games writer. If you pay another ten dollars, you get. And it's just the different. How how good do you want the experience to be? I want the tier of the game where you guarantee that claptrap doesn't show up. That's that's the version of uh, New Tales and Borderlands that I'm playing. 
eighty dollar version doesn't have claptrap in it, he's written out immediately. Then I'm <laughs> you're paying it. Hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, Jonesy, the other leak, and we'll close on this one, but I think it is actually a little bit more interesting, both in terms of the story of how we got to this point, and in terms of just your, yours and I's general interest in this title. Um, it's the game that um, various people over the years, most notably its publisher, um, Deep Silver, have been adamant that it has never died, it has never been cancelled, it has never truly gone away, and now it does seem to finally be true. Dead Island 2, Jonesy appears to not only be real, but may in fact be coming out in early 2023. We've got a box art, we've got screenshots, we've got a a, 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 brief, a brief description of um, the verdant suburbia of Beverly Hills and the uh, quirky promenade of Venice Beach that apparently will play host to this title. We've got confirmation that there are going to be six fully customizable characters that you can play as, and you're going to be facing off against dozens of distinct zombie types. Everything that points to this game not just being real, but being ready to go, Jonesy. Are you ready for Dead Island, Dead Island 2 to be a thing in your life? I am. Yeah, no, absolutely. Of course I am. Uh, Dead Island was was wicked. Um, I love the premise of it. I didn't. I never actually finished it, to be fair, Dead Island. Me I should either. have done. Um, I, I think I, when I got into like the middle game and it was just a lot of fetch quests, I was kind of like, I really, I, I basically just stopped doing the game and just started, just kept running around smacking zombies in their head with um, whatever I could find. But um, there's a lot of fun to be had in that series. I, I'm glad that they're making the game again. I'm a little bit apprehensive. Purely that's, because how... That's reasonable. Yeah, because think about how long this game has been in development. Think how many hands this game has passed through. Um, and it, But it still kind of is following um, the outline which they announced back in the day. So then you kind of wonder, but hold on, the games have come on a fair bit since then. Zombie games has been a genre which has been beaten, you know, almost to death. So if you're still kind of following a plan that you were following after the uh, Dead Island 1, have you... Are you sort of not moving with the times should you have maybe come a bit further because what were we saying before it was like 10 years or so since they started talking about this game yeah it um, was, so the, the initial pitch so basically what happened was around 2012 was when this all kicked up um there were conversations with uh techland obviously who made uh, dead island one about what they were going to do next they decided that they were going to prioritize dying light and work with warner brothers and that was when jaeger who in 2012 had just come off the back of the release of Spec Ops The Line, pitched for Dead Island 2, um, uh, Deep Silver, and 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 were, were happy with it, and uh, they were at the races, and it was in development there for a few years. Then it was at Sumo Digital for a few years, and then finally it ended up at uh, Dambuster Studios, who themselves have a weird history where Dambuster were formerly Crytek UK and Crytek UK were formerly Free Radical. So in a roundabout way, Dead Island 2 is being made by the team that used to make Time Splitters games, um, but also not being made by the, game, the, team, the team that made Time Splitters games because they also got to the point where they also just made Free Radical again and the people that found a Free Radical left Dambusters those that were there anyway, to go and join Free Radical again. So it's the people who worked who made... for the people. <laughs> yeah, the people who worked for the people who made Time Splitters and also finished Homefront the Revolution, um, which was not a good game. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it is a weird, it is, it is like, okay, where's this game been? How's it, how's it looking? Because if it's a case that actually they haven't, it's, it's the actual development of this only started five years ago or four years ago or something, then fine, you know, it might be absolutely fine. But if this is the case that this game has been being made, 
in some form and you know not has and some elements of it haven't changed since since they originally started talking about it then you start to just worry like is this going to feel dated is this going to be like something maybe totally. they should have just they should have canned um and they should have gone with something up, more up to date it's interesting obviously like Techland have now made dying light 2 and which which did okay like launch came out was, was pretty good um but is a very different game to um dead island is it, you know if it, it prioritizes a lot of other stuff it's actually a game that doesn't really prioritize the zombies um it's prioritizes no, yeah, you know true. the stuff that happens around that and, and more about the people involved and they're just kind of which is weird because that always happens with like tv shows and films they always get to the point where the zombies are almost a side thing whereas from everything i've read about dead island dead island 2 sorry it's it's not it's still fully down into that that world of no no you're fighting zombies in la and you know yeah. post-apocalyptic sort of um, post-virus post-pathogen scenario but you're super powered because you've got zombie juice because you're immune and i'm like ah interesting maybe you should have gone a bit further than that and you know may come up with something a little bit different but what do i know dead island's fun this might be i great. think that's a key word as well right it's like dying like two was a game that i thought i thought very notably had no interest in adding any sense of humor to the zombie apocalypse no and dead island one wasn't a funny game, but the original trailer for Dead Island 2 seemed like the potential for the most self-aware take in this kind of like mini first-person zombie action game universe that we've got going on. And I hope some of that is restored because there is still a gap for like the, like an aware, larger-than-life, zany, Saints Row-ified Dead Island-style game. For sure, yeah. But yeah. I don't know. There, there are screenshots out there now for anyone that wants to see them. But and again, I'd love to get a second opinion on this. I look at the screenshots and they don't look real to me. There's something you know when a screenshot looks staged, like almost like it's been like kind of a little yes. bit sort of like put together and manipulated in such a way. You will, like there's one particular screenshot where um, uh, the character is sort of standing in front of four or five zombies that are kind of like loosely positioned in front of them and they're holding um a kind of a modified wrench style thing in their right hand um and it looks like it's been photoshopped in sort of the placement of the zombies the way they're lit they don't look like they belong in that environment like it looks like it's been it looks like a screenshot that's been made in photoshop so i'd love to see some footage of this game running in real time if that is the plan for gamescom or beyond that's kind of the next big thing that i feel like we need to see but however you cut it, Dead Island Two does appear to be back on the menu. Um, it's fun. No, and, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm literally looking at the screenshot right in front of me that you were talking about. I yeah, completely agree. There's also a weird thing that because it, it's like you said, like Dead Island wasn't funny, but the humor in I think Dead Island was the the situationally where it was situationally aware. So you had this the ludicrousness of the of the environment of that kind of like beach life. Oh, everything looks lush and lovely, but you were running up and smacking zombies in the head with like things you could find on the floor like around you, and it was just kind of like ludicrous. But yeah, if they lean into that, I think that they it, that would be the best way to go. If they are self-aware, if they do find the humor in it, it's funny because the screenshot you were talking about. The one thing that kind of irks me a little bit is the design on the zombies. I think are too horror game. They're a uh, bit too, yeah. uh, like horror a bit too dead a bit too like evil dead kind of thing they're not i i want them to be a bit more like dumb zombie that you're going to have fun making well, weird weapons in the other, in the, other in the other screenshots they do look like that like one of the screenshots and on the beach which does look like more of a screenshot perhaps an in-engine one is like a roller skater kind of girl and she's right. got like a, a skate helmet on and pink hair and 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 sort of like knee-high socks and the other one 
uh, you appear to be uh, grabbing a kind of a Jersey Shore style dude by the neck where he's got the slick right. back Homelander style hair, big aviators and a gold chain. Maybe so, you're uh, right then. Maybe that, that, that other screenshot. Screen, that fourth screenshot looks, do you know what it looks like to me? It looks like a concept screenshot where like part of that image is real. Like the background is real. Like the um the the big fat like bloater zombie is real. The other three zombies have been added over the top, and the hands holding the weapon have been added over the top. That's, That's what it yeah, looks like to me. That is super interesting. That is because you're right. You look at the other screenshots, and they look much more in keeping with what I would have thought they would go. For. But that other one yeah. just looks out of place. And because they've even yeah, said yeah. like they've even said like there's specific types of like LA zombies, and you've you're right. The guy with the gold chain and the girl with the skater girl stuff. That that's the what they need to do. They need to lean into that comedy, that humor, that ludicrous, situationally aware. Like this is where the humor is of this game. It's it's dumb. It's over the top. What they don't need to do though is what they did in Dead Island One, which is just turn the whole game into fetch quests. Oh, you're here. Can you go there? Can you go there? Can you go here? And you're just going like, I've just done the same journey five times for like multiple different people. Like I need more. I need more. Um, yeah. But then it's I, I'm trying to think of the last game which I thought was actually kind of aware of itself as a zombie game. I guess it's Dead Rising as the series. Which is, um, you know, kind of takes that ludicrousness and sort of runs with it. Um, and there's space for that humor, though. There is absolute space for that humor because they've we've lost a lot of humor, Jamie. The games industry has lost some of its humor. It has. Although, Jonesy, in finding that humor, they might have also found themselves with a lawsuit. Do you know why? <laughs> why is that? I'm going to read you a little excerpt from the Dead Island Two description in the retail listing, and you tell me if anything strikes you as familiar. This is from okay. the last sentence of the big, biggest paragraph. Meet larger-than-life characters, slay countless foes in exquisitely bloody detail, and evolve to become the ultimate zombie slayer. See you in Hell A. Oh, they've stolen Hell A from us. That's how we always describe D three. Hell A, we did, we did. But that yeah. old, but to be fair, but we didn't come up with Hell A. Did we not? No. Okay, then we then maybe we're the ones with lawsuits on our hands. I might have been the first person to say it because I know it's from a film. Oh. Well, I heard it originally in a film. Which is, of course, uh, base off because uh, Caster oh. Troy, Caster Troy says uh, he's going to give them. So, um, I'm going to give them something that Hell A deserves because he's going to blow it up. Lovely. Also, so I will just say that reading this description does take a lot of what um, what you it sounds like you're hoping for from this game, like the way they're describing it. Talking about they even make reference to LA themed variants of zombies. Um. Uh, da, 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 what was I going to say? Um, for uh, horror, dark humor, and over-the-top zombie slaying, an epic pulp adventure. Um, stylish, vibrant, flooded with zombie infection, iconic, gore-drenched LA. Like, yeah, there's a lot of things here, a lot of like buzzwords that sound like they are going for something larger than life. Okay, um, that sounds that sounds cool. That sounds good. I'm yeah. down for that. We will find out more hopefully soon, and beyond that, we may even be able to play for ourselves if the speculated release date holds up. That is February 3rd, 2023. Which is punchy. Like, given that we haven't heard anything, and then suddenly there's a leak, and it's but coming out Feb 23. This is, this is like a Last Guardian situation, which is that if you're going to come back and say, hey, this game really does exist, you have to be able to come back and say, and also, this is when it's coming out. Like... If you're in charge of Dead yeah, Island yeah, 2, you don't come back until, like, this game is it. 
It's happening. We're not cancelling it. It's going to release, and it's going to release it now. <laughs> because if you came and said, "Hey, it's coming 2025," everyone's going to go, "Whatever." Yeah. Or if it, it didn't, ha- if it didn't have a release date, imagine if it came- imagine if Dead Island Two came out without a release date, people would just shrug and go, "Like, yeah, okay, sure." Yeah, we've heard that. Here. Yeah, we heard it ten years ago. Oh, yeah. We heard it eight years ago. We heard it six years ago. <laughs> literally, literally. Um, anyway, we shall wait and see. Um, and with that, Jonesy, that just about brings an end to what has ended up being, and I apologise for this as host this week, a bumper episode of the Super Show podcast. I must admit, I just got slightly swayed by the prospect of being acquired by the Embracer group, and I thought the longer podcast we create and the more we talk about Embracer, the more likely we are, likely we are to be acquired and get that beloved Darksiders um, intellectual <laughs> property in our grubby little mitts. Hopefully. It could still happen. Um, anyway. That's it, though, for this week. Thank you, Jonesy, for, for coming along on this ride with me. Thank you, mate. Thank you um, for having me. Um, and we'll see. Yeah, I think it's up in the air as to whether or not it's going to be business as usual next week. Um, I can't remember what Chris's situation is, and I know that my situation also might change in such a way where I'm not here. But I will say up front that regardless of who's here, who's hosting, and who's joining them, you should be tuning in next week because it will be the first post-Gamescom uh, podcast and we'll be able to break down everything Jeff Keighley serves up on opening night live which I believe is happening on Tuesday um, and that podcast will be going out like this one is that you just listened to on Friday um, so hopefully we'll be able to see you there same time same place same podcasting platform same YouTube channel same Patreon everything's the same we're the same except a little bit better each week all the more reasons keep tuning in Jonesy once again thank you everyone that listened everyone that watched thank you and hopefully we'll see you there Thank you, Embracers. See ya.